Hello and welcome to a series of horrors, the podcast that does deep dives into horror movie franchises and sometimes series for horror fans and foes alike. I'm Jackie from Canada. And I am Jeff from America. And today we have continued or are continuing. That is the way English works with <laughs> our screen series with Scream Four, or as it is in some of the promotional materials, Scruff for M. Yes, <laughs> which sounds like a body part, and it probably yeah should never say that again. Anyways, <laughs> they, they could probably stab it in this movie is what they is what I would think. Okay, what I've elected from rewatching this movie is that I need to host a stabathon myself, like at the local movie theater next Halloween, where we watch all the screens back to back, and I sell Ghostface costumes. <laughs> no, no, you need to host it at a band in barn outside of town. Okay, that's just like, you know, a whole lot of extra effort of me scouting things. I don't drive. How am I going to get to this barn? I- I'm just going to take the local movie theater and we're going to go like Scream 2 style, like movie opening, but it will be Stabathon. What I what they should have done, considering I still remember Scream 1, is it should have been an abandoned winery because if I remember right, wasn't there like a big vineyard in like Sydney's backyard? <laughs> There's the only house on the block with rolling vineyard hills. I'm like, so the abandoned winery off Mills Road or whatever. That should have been where they filmed this movie. Well, they decided to film it in an abandoned hospital instead. Like, why was there no protection for anyone? There are, like, nurses around? I'm sorry, they're both, like, in urgent care. Why are there no other patients? (laughs) If we learn anything from Scream 2022 is no, there is nobody in hospitals in the Scream movies because... At least in that one, I think I recall them saying, we've shut down the floor. You're the only patient on the floor. We're renovating this floor. No, they're like, we decided for your protection, we're shutting down the entire floor. And then they also had a guard outside her door for that one. Who- yeah, it did have the guard, the useless guard. But I did like, it was an abandoned hospital with lone nurse walks by and that's it. And I love there's like a full shootout in this hospital and no one, nothing. Nothing. No other cops in this hospital, not a nosy patient or a nurse, nothing, nobody. All right. Yeah, nearly a 10 minute, very loud struggle happening in a room. Nobody goes. Also, I'm sorry, Jill and her stuff from all those machines, which means that they will start coding as if she, because her heartbeat is no longer attached to the machine that is supposed to be monitoring her heartbeat. So, like, things would be going off. There should be a gang of nurses running to her room to make sure she's not dead. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And another gang of nurses running to Sydney's room to make sure she's not coded when they ripped all the stuff off her, too. That as well, like... Well, the one nurse that works in this hospital is very, very busy. I mean, to be fair, as a person who spent a lot of time in hospitals during COVID, this did feel mildly more realistic. My mom's like, it's been six hours. I haven't seen anyone. I'm like, oh, God. And then you see that there's only three nurses for like all these patients. You're like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. The theme of this movie, you know, it's like it exists in and out of time. It exists in 2023 and 2011 and 2005 all at the same time. It's the weirdest movie. To be fair, at first I was very judgmental because I'm watching the cold opens to this. And I was just like, what are they wearing in this first cold open scene? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, this fashion is circa 2008. But then it's like, oh, no, that was the start of Stab 6. So that makes sense. That would have come out in around 2008. And I'm like, Oh, they actually did a good job there. Let's get into it. Scream 4 or Scruff 4 That's the last time I'll be saying it. <laughs> and by the way, the cell Wi-Fi co- 
Virgins with Beryl. Top notch. Yes. Very surprisingly great. So this one obviously directed by Wes Craven, the last Scream film to be directed by Wes before he died of brain cancer. It was written originally by Kevin Williamson, but then it was pumped up or whatever by Aaron Kruger. And I just have a comment here. Isn't that who did the three? Part three? Yes. Yeah. He's the one that butchered. <laughs> three, but okay, comment here on Aaron's name and how he spells it, or they spell it. I'm assuming gender. They spell it as if they are definitely Canadian. <laughs> it is E-H-R-E-N. Ooh, are they Canadian? I don't know. But I'm just like, Aaron? <laughs> like, what is this? Is it Aaron? Aaron? Like, <laughs> no. No, it's like A as if Canadian, like, what's up, eh? Don't get it, but okay, Aaron. Off the top, fun facts that don't necessarily weave into the story, so I'll pop them off now. The timeline Courtney Cox and David Arquette. As we know, they met on the first movie. They were fucking on the second movie. On the third, they were married. And by this movie, they are separated. So they separated in 2010 during the filming of this movie and officially divorced in 2012. Oof. So that's why they don't spend too much time together in this movie? Yeah, exactly. And there's like allusions to their marriage not being great. Yeah, it's with Deputy Judy Hopps, which is a reference I know you're not going to get, but still, because you don't like animated anything. That was the main character from Zootopia. She was like a, a a plucky rabbit that wanted to be like a cop. I mean, Hicks, hot, close. She's Judy. Her name is Detective Judy Hicks. So like pretty cool. That might be why it just clicked in my head. Ah, Detective Judy Hops. <laughs> Other things that may matter. Uh, we'll notice that Dewey doesn't have a limp in this movie. And that is due to years of physical therapy, apparently. Okay. <laughs> we discussed this in the last movie. We were concerned about the limp and how it was coming and going. And now it's gone. So I figured I would mention. <laughs> Isn't it back in 2022? Well, yeah. But he gets stabbed in this one, does no? He doesn't get stabbed in the. Does he? He gets beat up by dead by by deadpan. Yeah, he just gets deadpan. So I don't know why the limp is back when you join you do. But by the way, Aaron Kruger, according to IMDb, says American film producer. <laughs> He, he just aspires to be Canadian. Or maybe his parents were Canadian. Secret Canadians who had crossed the border. And they were trying to keep it under wraps. Okay. What other fun facts do I have? Not so fun, actually. But an important aside is that there is a deleted scene in which Dewey explains to Gail, or maybe someone else. Anyways, he explains to somebody that Sid's dad has died and she hasn't been back to Woodsboro since then. There we go. We have that context as to why Sid is staying with her aunt instead of her father or anything like that. The aunt that didn't show up anytime, anywhere during any of these other movies. Exactly. And like, so again, with the rewrites, I actually didn't write down this fun fact, but I, I read it. So let me tell you. So there was like constant rewrites as per usual and like changes. Uh, so they had cast Lake Bell as Judy Hitt. And oh crap, who had the, did they have as the mom? I can't remember, but someone else that's like decently famous. And basically they dropped out because of the change to the aunt's character. And the actress that ended up playing the aunt was so mad at her reduced role like due to editing that she didn't even come to the premiere. I don't blame her because you would forget she's in the movie. It was supposed to be Sydney's father's aunt but then I guess to give her more punch up they changed it into her mom's aunt. Oh, oh that's who it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls. The mom from Gilmore oh, Girls. okay. Was supposed to be the aunt and she was supposed to be Maureen's kid sister which would make more sense as to why she wasn't around to help Sydney. She was only a child too or like a teenager figuring it out her own shit. Wasn't really able to 
be the ant figure. That would have made a lot more sense, but because of all the rewrites, they instead got, what's her name? Kate Roberts or something like that. Okay. Other fun facts. Chloe and Rachel, who are played in the film by Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. Originally, the spots were actually written for Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, which to me, I'm like, in 2011, no wonder that casting did not work out. They were like, they hated each other. And five years too late by then. Yeah. Right? Like, because like 2007 was their fallout. Oh, they based the Stabathon on uh, the town that I mentioned last time, Texarkana, who every year they view the film, The Town That Dreaded Setting Down. They have like a movie in the park event where they all watch that film, which is based on the murders that happened in their town. Interesting. Other things that pertain to the movie that I probably won't talk about as we're recapping. The stab cast is Sid is played by Tori Spelling. Luke Wilson is playing Billy. David Schwimmer is Dewey. And then Casey is played by Heather Graham. Another casting choice, but in the actual movie of Scream 4 instead, did you recognize character of Eric, the one with the headset? I did not. Well, you may have recognized him from a previous film that we covered. He spent most of the film in a locked safe. Oh, it's baby Eric Matthews? <laughs> yes, it is Detective <laughs> Donnie's son. And thus, for my entire notes, <laughs> he is referred to as Detective Donnie's son, but then that was too much to write after a while. So he, he became DDS. <laughs> so yeah. that's his name. Ah. Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, I do see it. This came out the same year as, as Saw 7, as the last Saw. So this would have been a couple years before then. Mm-hmm. Well, Saw 2 was like 1005. Yeah, 5. Good to see he got his life together, learned some technology. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm glad that he had recuperated, you know, had a new life, was okay with his dad's death moving forward. But unfortunately, Ghostface got him in the end. Oh, this, this is what I asked about the new movie, which has nothing to do with anything. It's set in New York and filmed in Toronto. So did you recognize anything? Yes, ish. Like, okay, I wasn't thinking about it at the time I was watching the movie that, oh, this is Toronto because it was actually a really good movie. So I was like tuned into paying attention to the actual movie and not thinking, oh, I know that place. But every once in a while, I was like, huh, that looks really familiar. I've been having the same problem with um, The Last of Us, but like that's not filmed in Toronto. It's filmed out West. And like, but what's it The Last of Us for? Oh, we're also watching Dead Like Me. That was the one that I really was like, oh, no, 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 no. I have been to these places because it was in Vancouver. And at one point, she's riding her bike down the street. I'm like, my friend lived on that street. <laughs> anyways, yeah, it was too interesting for me to be paying attention to the fact that I recognized the scenery. So okay. there were some alleyways that I was like, huh, yeah, okay. I feel like I've been in this area before. Okay, my last few things. There's also, okay, like spoiler of who survives this movie and ends up in future movies. Kirby survived this movie and it was actually in Hayden, Hayden Pantier's contract that she would not be shown as killed on screen because she wanted the possibility to come back. And it would make sense with her hero's character that couldn't be killed or died. <laughs> but like also apparently there is an Easter egg in Scream 5 on YouTube. One of the side videos says interview with Woodsboro survivor Kirby Reed. Keen-eyed people watch for that next episode. Yes, we already said that this is the only movie that Dewey is not stabbed in. Oh, this is the only movie that did not have a character named Steve. I had to <laughs> note that for you. So apparently Kevin Williams and really likes to kill Steve's much like... Like Lee Winner likes to kill Jeff for one reason or another? <laughs> exactly. So in the first movie, Drew 
Drew Barrymore's boyfriend's name is Steve. In the second one, Omar Epps character is also Steve. And then in the third movie, Kronk, his character's name is Steve. You know I am with names. Like, I remember nobody's name in any movie. I'm just like, all right. I remember you telling me right after I finished watching, I'm like, hey, I can't remember Rory Culkin's name. I'm like, I just finished this movie and I already don't remember his name. I was currently watching the movie and writing the notes and going, I don't, Rory, Rory, Rory. And like, at one point, I like really was racking my brain as I'm watching the film going, what is the character's name? And it wasn't until the end when like Kirby, like every five seconds, like Charlie, Charlie. And I'm like, oh, he is Rory. I'm like, Rory. I remember Judy Hopps because that made me laugh. And Kirby. Everybody else dies too quickly for me to remember who they are. That's completely fair. I, I keep on wanting to talk about the new movie. I need to move on. Okay, <laughs> let's get into this movie. Should be and this fair. is way too much of an analog to the first movie also. Because boy, is somebody really trying to skeet Ulrich it up. So like, that's the thing. Okay, so what happened here was that Wes Craven wanted to reboot the franchise. And they were supposed to immediately have sequels to this film. With Kirby coming back and like it being these characters and whatever. But Wes died. So then they scrapped the idea. And then they were like, okay, we'll do the TV series instead and whatever. And then that petered out. So then they decided to come back with Scream 5. And then Scream 5 is all about setting up the new generation, right? So I really hated that about Scream 5. And I felt that Scream 5 was really clunky because they were trying to like set up this new generation to make us care about them and invest in them. Like they were shoehorning these people like, hey, these are people you like now. And let's push these other people to the side. Exactly. So in Scream 6, it actually was more effective because then at this point I had spent an entire movie where they did shoehorn these people into like me having to care about them within one movie but then once you go to the second movie it's like okay well I already invested in them. So they did the same thing with Randy that they did with Tatum in this movie they made Randy twins in the new versions and like Tatum into these two girls into this movie? Pretty much yeah. Well they turned Randy into two people in this movie too. The twins are Randy's niece and nephew but Chad is not really Randy. Chad is silly Stu but not murderous like he's the jock. Well I don't know if Stu was a Jock. Yeah, neither of them is a jock. So I'm just like, they were more macho than Randy. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe he's a Derek from Scream 2. Oh, yeah, he's more of a Derek. Yeah, I can see that. All right, let's jump into this movie. Yes. <laughs> okay, we open on the Dimension Films logo. If we're going to do font time with that logo, I would say it's quite dated and needs an update. Have they updated since 2011? I am not sure, but the Dimensions film, is Dimensions film still a thing? Probably not because that was the Weinstein stuff, so it's probably gone now. While we're looking at the Dimension Films logo, we do hear a phone ringing. Uh, it does sound like a landline just from its ring automatically. Yes. <laughs> and that we cut to Aria from Pretty Little Liars. She answers her house phone and I automatically wrote my note of why is she dressed like it's 2008? And then, surprise, it's Ghostface on the phone. And then I wrote myself a note being like, why are you answering the landline? List of people who call a landline. Telemarketers. Grandma. Most likely Ghostface. <laughs> if you live in Woodsboro, I think Ghostface is like one out of every four landline calls, right? It's just like either have you had your air ducts cleaned or I'm going to kill you. Uh, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah, it's Ghostface. Honey, it's Tuesday at six o'clock. You know it's Ghostface. Just don't answer the phone, okay? Let it go. Let it go. So if I don't answer, he'll just text me and tell me to answer the phone. I just have to pick it up. He has my cell phone number, but he still wants to call the house for whatever reason. Okay, let's put our purge lock on first. And uh, okay, all right, we have. And I didn't catch her name. 
I don't remember the actress's name. I think it's like Shanae or something like that. But she's just 90210 in my notes because she was in the reboot. <laughs> but yeah, so Arya is hanging out with 90210 and they're both looking ready for 2008, I wrote, and she has a sidekick. And then I realized later on that, oh, this is supposed to be Stab Six and this makes sense why they are so dated. They're going to watch Saw 4 and 90210 is complaining that Saw is more gross than scary. And I think we came to that conclusion when we uh, watched the entire series. I looked it up. Saw 4 is the one with... with it is the, the, is the, the uh, Red, not Reg. Um, uh, what's his name? Riggs? No, Riggs is... Riggs yeah, that's Riggs, isn't it? No, it's, that's not Riggs. It's, it's something like Riggs, but it's not because Riggs is from Lethal Weapon. But it's like... Yeah, the police officer. Yeah, and, like, police it's all officer, about him yeah. like having to make the choices. And yeah, like about, yeah, it's all about him trying not to save people to save people. Like for, yeah. for him to survive, for him to win, he has to like not do nothing. It's yeah. basically the story. Which is like, I think the worst some movie in my opinion yeah i think we agreed overall that that was the worst one yeah. I, i'm looking at my old saw notebook on the shelf should i pull it out? i think that, that's the only one we had to do the trigger warning for for the for the uh oh yeah we had to do the that creepy one. that was the creepy one out of all the saw movies to pick because you know the year this came out was what the year seven came out so they his name was rig it was oh it was rig uh, singular not the yeah because murtaugh was in the first one danny glover and Riggs was was uh the guy and the other guy leaked the weapon so wow this is like a movie that sits in the middle of anything it's inconsequential. Agreed. I can't find our rating for it. I didn't write it down. Oh, well. It just sets things up that pay off either in the next movie or the movie after or the movie after. And I think that's when Detective Donnie died. Yeah, there was a lot of gore for gore's sake and just not interesting in that one, especially because you were so worried after Saw 3 about the kid, right? Yeah. And and, and then, oh, what's going to happen with this kid? Five minutes into the movie. We got the kid. Kid's fine. I'm like, what the? What? Yeah. What, what, what do I care? Hold on. I cared about this. That's when you find the new quote unquote jigsaw. Um, guy, guy, man, man, guy. Okay, back to this movie. <laughs> I figured it's a little right for us to mention what happened to Saw movies. You know, it is it is our thing. It is our thing. It's how we started. It's our bread and butter. All right. So my point next is who the fuck casually grabs a kitchen knife to punctuate their points while talking about a fictional horror movie villain who kills people and how he does the best kills? Well, that's kind of why I leave kitchen knives just out in the kitchen, you know, just in case I'm having conversation. Clearly, I've been missing out. I will start punctuating all my sentences with a knife. Even though it is Florida, so I should get a gun instead. But still, um, we're working on it. We're just... You know. I told you about our visit to Florida and like we saw my cousins and literally every story they had to tell me, it all everything in their life revolves around shootings. It's just, oh yeah, we want to go to the fair. You got to go at this time of the year otherwise the shootings are at the late time of the year. Yeah. Oh, remember that time we went to the Costco? Yeah, the Costco that got shot up. Why is every story about gun violence? And they're like, you're in Florida, my love. You're Florida. Everyone has a gun. Mm -hmm. At least one. <laughs> State is shaped like a gun. There's just we can't help it. Oh, today I went to the supermarket. I passed like four gun shops. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, while we were in town, it was the gun show actually in Orlando. <laughs> oh, believe me, there's always a gun show in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> nothing special there. Jackie, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, nine hundred two one zero is has a stalker on Facebook who she's been messaging, and she's like, oh, you know, he messaged me the usual thing. Hey, what's up? You're hot. I want to kill you. This gets a pass just because it ends up being stabbed. Yeah. She's just like, what? He's hot. It's okay that he's threatening me because he's hot. I'm like, oh my God, fucking toxic standards that were so common back then. Hey, welcome to 2011. It was a dark time, friends. I mean, we're in a slightly better time now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
we're moving in the right direction. Baby steps are still steps. That's true. Okay. So yeah, she's being catfish. Turns out they're using tannin tanning tape. Oh my god, tanning Jadam. Oh my god. The sad thing is, is that my internet password used to be chanting all over your Tatum. <laughs> I can't figure out Channing Tatum's name right now. I'm disappointed. I didn't even know that. Now I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, yeah. So um, there was like an SNL sketch or Jimmy Kimmel sketch where he had this whole song about how he was going to Channing all over your Tatum. So that was our very sexual internet <laughs> Wi-Fi password when we were in college. It would be difficult to guess, so it kind of works. And it's like a phrase, so it would last longer too. So that was the whole point. We're like, okay, well, we need something really ridiculous that no one is ever going to guess, but that we're all going to remember. <laughs> I'm going to remember it. And, you know, it's not going to get me into anything, but still, I'm going to remember it. <laughs> yep. You can log into my internet from 2011. <laughs> Enjoy. So much spam. So much. <laughs> so many chain letters. If you do not send this to 18 people, the girl from the ring will show up in your room tonight. Oh, yeah. By the way, young children listening to this, chain letters are emails you would get. It's, it's like if you got a text message, you had to forward to five other friends or bad things would happen to you. Back to this movie. Holy crap. <laughs> okay. So Ghostface, he calls again and he says that if Arya, not Stark, <laughs> hangs up, he will cut through her neck until he feels bone. That's a pretty deep cut. Yeah. And then 90210 asks who it is and Arya's like, it's for you. <laughs> That's a good friend right there. <laughs> Apparently it's your stalker friend. Here you go. I just love it so much. <laughs> but anyways, we find out that 90210's name is Trudy and I'm like, oh God, you know that this is a horror movie because she has the most unlikely name for a girl in 2011. There are some more ghost face threats and then they hang up the phone. It rings again and they, they're like, don't pick it up. And then they get a text from the stalker saying to pick up the phone. They go to check the doors and make sure that they're locked and then the doorbell rings and then Arya's like, I'm gonna just open this door for the fun of it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, they get the text. I dare you to open the door. And then she's like, yeah, I'm gonna open the door. And then a ghost face pops up behind 90210 after texting her, I'm not at the door. I'm right beside you. And stabs her. Then another ghost face appears in the doorway and stabs Arya. I'm not sure if this is an implication that there are two ghost faces in this film or if they were trying to say that Ghostface somehow got from behind her to the door. I don't know, but Ghostface does some pretty miraculous things in this movie, but we'll get to that later. Once you know who the killers are, it makes no sense for the killer to be somewhere and then somewhere else at the same time. There's that, and I have so many other comments, but anyway. Okay. We cut to stab six, and then like cut into another movie. Oh, sorry, cut into another scene where it is now Sookie from Fur Blood and Veronica Mars. They're debating horror movies. Sookie's pretty much, this is such bullshit. This movie sucks uh, for all these reasons. So like all the girls from the stab movie are actually actresses that were popular in the early 2000s and on like t recurring TV series. But yeah, anyway, so Sookie's complaining about the movie and then Veronica Mars stabs her in <laughs> the stomach. Because she talks too much. Yes, that's why she was getting killed. And I was, <laughs> I wrote, and like, honestly, I get her motives. I get it, but she wasn't talking that much. I mean, like, she's just like, shut up and enjoy the movie. And I'm like, I've, I've been there with people, but then sometimes I'm the person. <laughs> A lot of times I'm the person. <laughs> And you wouldn't want to be stabbed. No, but I would understand if someone's <laughs> like, okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you're stabbing me, but I'm sorry. Your Canadian is showing now. You could slip my throat in with one last gasping breath. I'd apologize. Bleeding on your shirt. <laughs> Just quoting some Taken Back Sunday at you. Okay. <laughs> we cut to stab seven title. And then we cut to another set of girls on a couch. Marnie and Jenny this time. Marnie. That's a good name. Again with the like, no, <laughs> but like this time, this is the real character. Like real people that are actually going to be part of universe of this movie but yeah marnie another name that like later thing the one thing that like i really appreciated and that felt very genuine to 
teenage girls, but also horrible and cruel, is that when they're discussing later and like Jill gets like the creepy call in the car and then Olivia's like, yeah, I got a call from Marnie the Carney. That is exactly what teenage girls would do. They would have a horrible nickname for the other girls in their class that they aren't really friends with. She doesn't look like a Carney. No, no. And probably nothing wrong with her. Nothing to suggest that she's a Carney at all. But they're just like, "Mm, she's really smart. And I'm intimidated by that. No, wasn't the other one a Miss 135 IQ? Oh, yes. She was the like, I have a 4.0 GPA, whatever. But I'm assuming that as her friend, they have similar academic ambitions. I don't know. That doesn't always hold true. But anyways, I don't know. Whatever she was wearing looked very nerdish. I don't know about the big brain move of her escaping through the construction scene that's in her house on the way to the garage. Oh my God. (laughs) So many questions about that house. But okay. So we've cut to Marnie and Jenny and they have been watching Stab 7 and then they're discussing the various Stab movies and Marnie is new to all this. She never watched any of them. She's very confused about like, well, if the start of Stab 7 is Stab 6, then is the start of Stab 6, Stab 5 and blah, blah, blah. And Jenny's just like, you're really overthinking this. And she's a smart one. She would know. So <laughs> they refer to how uh, Stab 5 has time travel, apparently. And that's the bad one. I very much appreciated that. Okay, so then we, Jenny hears a noise upstairs. So she goes to check on it and Marnie's scared, but stop playing tricks on me kind of thing. And then the phone starts ringing. Marnie answers it and it's Jenny on the phone pretending to be Ghostface, showing that there is a voice change app that you can download on your phone nowadays. That would exist, I guess. Yes, we were introduced to the app. Marnie starts telling her off, but then she's like cut off and it sounds like she's been attacked. Jenny goes to check on her, finds phone in the middle door and all the lights turned off. Phone rings again. She picks it up and it's Ghostface on the phone. She asks if it's Trevor. So this makes me think that is she the girl that Trevor cheated on Jill with? That's going to be my guess, which answers the question I had earlier as to why these two girls were murdered. But now that would be why. If that's the case, why aren't her friends automatically like, isn't that weird that the girl that Trevor cheated you on is the one that got killed and you got a call from her phone? Well, Kevin Williams would drop the ball on this one because I don't remember hearing that. No, they never said that at all. Like they never connected. But like the fact that she says Trevor here. Because, uh, you know, Jill is not the girl that gets cheated on. I learn at the end of this movie. Exactly. So it just feels like an underbaked thought that like never pays off. I'm going to say another deleted scene. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Marty's dead body is thrown through the window and Ghostface appears. And by the way, both killers, neither of which I think are strong enough to do that. Uh-uh. Or Alice and Brie later. Like, what? Neither <laughs> of these girls have the strength to throw this girl through the window. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but maybe both of them together could have done it. I think they were both there yeah. because when you look at the footage later that they're showing to Sydney, the footage is being filmed from outside the window with Ghostface stabbing a person behind Ghostface. So this movie is the most where the killers are almost always at the same place at the same time. Yeah. Like in, in the other screen movies with multiple killers, they're like never together, really, while murder is going on. But here I think they are together while the murders are going on. Yeah, a couple times at least. And one time they are together where murders are going on somewhere totally different. But that's neither here nor there. But let's get into it. Okay, so the uh, there's the chase scene that ensues and we both have to question what the fuck is the layout of this house. Like she goes upstairs into an attic space, maybe, and then has to like fall down this set of unfinished stairs to the garage. Like she goes to the second floor, goes into a room, fights with Ghostface a little bit, runs into another room, which is like an unfinished room, which looks like it's halfway done then goes down a hallway to some stairs that are also unfinished and then is at the garage yep makes zero sense her back is then broken by the garage door also makes no sense it actually just sounded like a like, nice chiropractic adjustment to me <laughs> 
and also the garage door wouldn't close because they had they had sensors. It would, yeah. literally wouldn't move. And she was really incapacitated from this one little staff. So they were trying to actually um, make up for Tatum stuff and say that this is how a garage door would act. But it wouldn't. Yeah. There's that. And then also the reason that they decided to put this in for the kill is that there was supposed to be a scene where they tell Dewey that she was attacked with the garage door so that he could get super emotional about Tatum because they never freaking like refer to the fact that like Tatum was a sister that he gives a shit about her like where Sydney's best friend Dewey's sister was murdered and like no one cares yeah we never talk about Tatum never referred to Sid's constantly like mourning different people and whatever like in the third movie she's wearing Derek's letters still and Dewey's just like my sister was a bitch Ghostface did me a favor and also if she married the cop from part three and had kids with him wouldn't he have come down to Woodsboro with her well she was on a book tour so he has to watch the kids he can't go to every single date with her he at least be at Woodsboro maybe not the whole tour but probably this one yeah you would think but you know McDreamy was in the middle of Grey's Anatomy at the time being a doctor now in Seattle suddenly like his paycheck was going to be a whole lot higher (laughs) like he doesn't have although he took place in screen three like I bet that he does not have the bond loving memories that everyone else has that like you know keeps coming back to the scream movies so he was probably like no you gotta pay me if i'm coming back they're like eh, we'll just write you out we won't mention you at all they do they do mention him they mention him in this movie yep. really huh. yeah it's like gail or dewey when she first sees dewey i think it is he says oh how's my no 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 she first sees gail sorry because she sees gail first and they're starting yeah. to chat and then dewey comes and he's like no we can't really talk because we'll get there but anyway so yeah gail asks him how mark is oh wow all right it's quick small talk that you don't really pay attention to unless you have been paying attention to this show. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we get font time finally cool font like the font it was very crisp and clean i did not like the cgi ghost face yeah, that was a bit much it felt overloaded because the cgi ghost face in the back i like the treatment of the scream letters that by this point they have them standardized okay we cut to down Downtown Woodsboro, there are ghost face masks on every single lamppost. And I wrote, wow, that's fucked. These creative high school kids. Just assholes. My next note is about Sid's book being called Out of Darkness, being like the most standard self-help novel book name. Every single person who's written a book about their struggles called it Out of Darkness. This is one of those titles that you're like, listen, it's going to be Out of Darkness as, a, as like a holder name mm-hmm. and we'll come up with a better one later. And then like, oh, we have no time. It's just going to go. Yeah. All right. I'm like trying to come up with more creative titles and my first one, confronting my inner ghost face or facing my inner ghost face. <laughs> That'll make more sense. I guess. Oh no, that would be a terrible title. This is why I'm not in charge of naming things other than our podcast, which I somehow came up with a decent name for, I think. Yes, there you go. There and back again, a scream tale. No, that's, that's from The Hobbit. <laughs> I hate scary movies. <laughs> exactly. I'm sitting, don't call me. Oh, numbers unlisted. Always shoot them in the head. <laughs> I love caller ID. Okay, well, Dewey is then woken up by a phone call in his bed. He is beside Gail, so we get to see that they are still married. But that stab money doesn't pay for a king-size bed, apparently. Oh, that full-size bed they have in their tiny bedroom. Yeah, like, I refuse to share a queen with Rush. Never mind a fall. There are limits to my love. No. <laughs> and was like the bed pushed up against, like, the wall on her side, too? I mean, to be fair, when it's a smaller bed, I need it pushed up to the side of the wall, because otherwise I will fall out of 
bed. Okay. <laughs> like, that's the only way that I can share a full bed with someone is if I am on the side pushed up against the wall. But maybe that's one of the reasons for their marital problems. It's like, listen, this bed's too small, Dewey. Like, seriously, people are like, oh, no, it's a testament to how much you love each other. I'm like, no, I think it's a testament to, like, youth. When I was my first two years of university, I only had a twin size bed and would share that with my partner and be sleeping. Literally, I wouldn't even be on the mattress. I would be, like, on the wood part, like, in between the wall and the mattress. And be totally fine with it. And be fine. I was just like, wake up the next morning and be like, yeah, I can still walk. It's great. Now I sleep like in the most amazing bed with all the pillows, everything I could possibly want, my humidifier, my insane like nighttime routine. And I'm just like, I wake up in the morning like, oh no, everything hurts. I threw up my back by sleeping. Okay, we cut to Dewey outside his house getting into his car. He is cut off by Kirby who's driving like a maniac. He screams after her and like he damn it Kirby or whatever under his breath, establishing that he does know who Kirby is. This is helpful because later, for example, he's given the very vague instructions of they're at Kirby's house and he immediately knows the address. I figure small town. You do figure that, but it's nice that they actually for once thought of that ahead. <laughs> like very few times they do that. The, the script, as we will find out. Also, I did try to look up the script for this today. There is no script for Scream for the movie that was actually produced. There is the original script that Kevin Williamson wrote and there is a transcript of the dialogue without the names of the people who are saying the things. Oh boy. So how much time does Sydney spend at a daycare center in this version <laughs> of the movie? There was no daycare center, but I started reading it and basically I had to scroll to the one scene that I knew would be different because I had read it in fun fact that in Kevin Williamson's original script, it was supposed to be Marnie plays a prank on Jenny, scares her. They decide to go back to watching the movie and then as they turn it on, Ghostface comes up behind them, swings the knife, and then it's Scream 4. That would have been better, I think. Yeah, because this whole death chase is really weird. And plus, the opening of this movie just takes too long. I get what they were going for. It's just drag. You didn't need two fake-outs. The one fake-out was cool, but not a second fake-out on top of it. Like, okay, all right, that's not... But, like, I think that's what it's setting you up for. It's, like, setting you up for this is what horror has become. It's become a fucking joke. Let's bring it back to good horror. By the time the actual kills take place, I didn't care. And and those hills weren't even that good. I agree. But I see what they were trying to do. <laughs> Jill gets into the car. We see that Olivia is her neighbor, hot girl. She's talking briefly to Kirby before Olivia gets in the car about how Trevor cheated on her and she's still over him. And he's calling all her friends because she won't pick up the phone. Oh, yes. He's been calling, harassing everyone all morning. And Kirby has just not been picking up his calls, apparently. No, Jill has been picking up his call. Kirby did talk. To right. Anyways, so then Olivia gets into the car and she's asking if the angel of death is at Jill's house yet, a.k.a. Sydney. And Kirby says that Sydney is the reason she loves horror movies. Like, that's a great line, but also a terrible line. Never tell her that. Also, the stab movie shouldn't have been based on her life. It should have been Final Destination, which is a connection I don't see. Olivia says that, not Kirby. And I mean, death follows her is the implication. Okay. She doesn't die. Everybody else dies but her. I'm like, but everybody dies in the Final Destination movies. Because death is following them. So death follows her. Okay. So Jill's saying that her and Sydney are estranged. Then Jill starts getting a call on her phone from Jenny. And she answers the phone, but it's Ghostface. She puts them on speaker. And once they get into their usual Ghostface graphicness, she hangs up on them. Olivia says that she got the same call from Marnie the Carney earlier. We then get our jump scare with the van almost crashing into them because Kirby is a terrible driver. Okay, we get our intro to Hicks and she's super horny for Dewey. That's about it. That is her character trait in this movie. She's just super into Dewey and also kind of creeping on Sid. That's it. Well, her character 
character is super into Dewey and red herring. Yeah, but like, I don't know. In the shadow hallway, which shows up later, which I was like, wow, is this like the hallway of shadows? Yeah, they need to install some better overhead lighting in that hallway. It is a tripping hazard on those stairs. The dramatic shadow hallway, where it always covers about half your face or your whole face and just see the body. Now, if you take a step up, you see everything. But then if you take a step back, it's bad again. I'm like, hey, right, this is the dramatic. When I become a famous interior designer, I'm going to have my trademark, which will be called horror movie lighting. Where like only like partially lit areas. Where you can stand in shadow and have conversations very ominously. Yeah. And I'll have lots of large objects that people could easily hide behind weapons as parts of the decoration so they can be used, you know, to murder. And you need like doors that people could stand behind and clothes and you oh, yeah. can be standing behind it dramatically. Yeah. Refrigerators, lockers, all kinds of cabinets. Yes. All the doors. Hi, this door is Ghostface. Okay. So we, oh, they, Dewey gets a call over the walkie talkie. It is Anthony Anderson's voice. He calls in a murder and they head off. We then cut to a TV interview with Sydney. She is asked, have the seven stabs movies all based on Gail Weather's books about you made it even harder to go on. And Gail is watching on as it says that she needed to reinvent herself and not play the victim. Then Gail's like, okay, well, I'm going to reinvent myself. And then does the like stupid thing that they always do for like authors and movies. <laughs> Writers and movies that can't write. I don't know what to write. Yeah, every time it's just chapter one. I have no idea what I'm writing. And I'm like, that's not how you plan a book. I've never completed writing a book, but I've tried. <laughs> there was very long outlines. I had an entire notebook just of side notes about the characters and stuff like that. So one of the best pieces of advice that I ever actually read came from Eugene Levy. He told his son when he was writing the characters for Shit's Creek that he needed to know every detail about every character, side character, main character didn't matter. You needed to know what perfume they wore in high school and then what perfume they wear now. You need every single detail before you can write these characters because you need to know who they are. And I'm like, that's how you write good characters. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Should you call Eugene Levy, maybe get some advice. Because clearly no planning has gone into her trying to write this book. Besides writing chapter one on Microsoft Word, she's done basically nothing. So we then cut to Detective Donnie's son, aka DDS for the rest of my notes. I wrote here, poor kid survived Jigsaw only to be killed by Ghostface. He's like some sort of Twitch YouTuber live streaming dude who is live streaming his entire high school experience. Which I'm sure is happening now. I don't think that teachers would allow you to literally record the entire high school experience, but like between classes and stuff, sure. Maybe. What's that camera connected to to be able to be live streaming always? And then how clear the feed is and how Kirby is able to just pull it up on her phone so easily. And I'm just I'm trying to remember what phone I had in 2011 and what its abilities were. And also, I'm just like, well, I guess they're high school students, so their parents are paying their phone bills because I'm just thinking about, oh my God, it would have cost me so much to like stream something on my phone on data. It is Woodsboro, so everybody's loaded. Yeah, they all have their vineyards. Yeah, they all have their vineyards. Money is no object if you're from Woodsboro. So that part I've accepted. But good quality, permanent Wi-Fi internet connection. Maybe the whole city is just connected with Wi-Fi at this point. I don't know. See, like it would have made more sense what they say later about their killers that are filming the whole thing too. They have a throwaway line where they're just, great, we'll cut it, edit it, and upload it later. That makes sense. 
So the live streaming thing in 2011, not as much. And that little headset camera thing, what's the battery life on this thing? Yeah, so many questions about this technology. This is usually my problem with action movies. It's like, look at all this technology that doesn't actually exist, but it is integral to our plot. And look how cool it is. And this isn't even that integral to the plot because him recording everything doesn't really play into anything. Other than his kill. Yeah, but that's it. And he could just be recording the party at that point, but him doing this all the time. I think it's just introducing the idea of filming everything. And then that's the next step for the killer is that this is what kids do today. They film everything. But they weren't yet. I mean, like Vine existed then, right? So people were making YouTube videos at that point. There was the content out there. You couldn't live stream like that yet. Not like he's doing. Definitely not. Basically, they had to invent some sort of technology so that they, but like they didn't have to invent it. They could have just not had it being a live stream. But anyways. Yeah, that's the one thing I found very weird. Well, actually, it was Vine came out in 2013. So oh, okay. this predates Vine even. YouTube was a thing. But I think at that point, they probably had a 10 minute video cap. The one thing I find cool about this, which is pointless to the movie, is like, wow, all right, Kevin Williamson, you saw where things were going and just extrapolated it to 10 years early. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it makes more sense now than it did that. And then so like if you were watching it without having lived through 2011, maybe you would be like, yeah, OK, totally. If like one of the characters from 2022 screen was doing that, I'd be like, oh, OK, yeah. I probably wouldn't think that much about it. Yeah, I remember it being weird at the time. Too. Is this what high schoolers are doing since the two years that I left high school? OK, he's asking the army and girls what their favorite scary movie is. Kirby says Bambi, which is shadowing how Randy said his favorite horror movie was Showgirls. I have such a weird soft spot for all the Culkins and I'm not sure why. Anything I watch when a Culkin pops up, I'm just like, I love Kieran Culkin. I love Rory Culkin. I love... Like, I'm just like, Kieran, I get. Rory feels like the meth addict homeless one. Like, I don't get it. I think I only love him because the first time that I really paid attention to Rory was in Scream 4, and I previously really enjoyed Scream 4. As I was discussing with Raj, the reason that I enjoyed Scream 4 so much was because Scream 3 was so bad. And I had thought that that was the end of my favorite franchise. And so when Scream 4 came out, it was so much better in my mind than Scream 3 that I thought it was so great. Well, it is better than Scream 3. Yes, I did end up rating it higher than Scream 3, but I actually debated being like, are they? Is it better? Because I had such a great time watching Scream 3 last time when I finally let go of my pretension and like was just like, I'm just gonna watch a horrible movie be a horrible movie. And I fucking loved it. So. I still enjoy Scream 4. Like, I remember it being more connected to the horror at the time. It apparently was. Because mm-hmm. now I'm watching, I'm like, that's not what horror was doing back then. Yeah, basically for me, what really sells this one is the final act. The final few acts, not like the hospital act. The fight club moment and like that sort of, like those are epic and that you keep in your mind afterwards you're like yeah that was good but anyway okay aside from my love for Culkins we get a jump scare from Trevor who's hiding behind the locker because you know it's a scream movie yeah you have you have <laughs> and plus he is um basically Billy Loomis in this movie well they're trying to but he's really actually Sid's dad <laughs> yeah he ends up being Sid's dad but like he is over the top well he is like four characters because right now he's like the sad boyfriend mm-hmm. and later he becomes lunatic man mm-hmm. and then he becomes Sid's dad so they actually had to cut a lot of this actor's scene because he was more suspicious. They just hit people over the head trying to make him the red herring. And basically it got to the point that it just didn't make sense once they actually revealed the killers because they had set him up so much. Yeah, like it wouldn't make sense for it to be anybody else. Yeah. It's almost, it 
almost doesn't make sense for him not to be the killer when he shows up at the house later. Okay, we'll get to it. Okay, jump scare. Jill implies that they have had sex and that she gave him everything and he threw it away. They're high school kids. I get it. We then go to Gail. She is arriving at Sydney's book signing. Then Dewey shows up as well. Everyone hugs their quick hellos where we get that throwaway line about Mark. And then more cops show up and basically they've traced the killer's phone to these coordinates. They call the phone and it's in Sid's rentals trunk. They pop the trunk. Can we talk about what they find in the trunk and how? I don't know how Sydney didn't know that stuff was in there. One. Two. That phone has a hell of a ringer. It's the loud phone to be able to hear it from the trunk in the street. The amount of times I lose my phone. Oh my god. Just this last weekend even. I always get really frustrated and then I start singing the uh, Where Are You Christmas song from the Grinch but my phone is dead. <laughs> Where are you for? I cannot find you. Why have you gone away? That would cheer me up if I at the house and just hear that. I'm like, ah, that's funny. But like once I start singing that song, that's when Raj knows, oh, okay, Jackie's about to lose it. I need to go, start, go and start helping her find her phone. It's a good little warning because <laughs> I'd be no help at all at that point. I'd be like, ha ha ha, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, wait, no. why is Jackie breaking things now? Yeah. <laughs> that's the cue sign that I'm about to hulk out. <laughs> oh, Jackie's singing a weird song. Let's cautiously approach. Wait, See, but I hear songs all the time and they're an integral part of our podcast. So I'm like, hey, Jackie's singing. This is great. That is very true. Uh, okay. Holy crap. How many scenes are we into? And let's keep going. Okay. Only the opening characters have died. Okay. So obviously they make Trevor seem like the red herring. Oh, wait, no, no, no. no. We're at the trunk. Crap. Okay. Yeah. Trunk. In the trunk, they have just posters for Sydney's book covered in blood, but it looks like someone took a paintbrush and like a ghost face mask and the phone. And it just. No, wasn't a knife too? Maybe there's a knife. But anyways, point being, it looks like if somebody told an amateur film student to set dress to frame Sydney. Yeah, it looks like a bulletin board because like the phone is placed perfectly in frame with Sydney's face from the poster with blood smeared just so. Yeah, and there's like multiple posters and they're scattered in an artistic way and then they're painted with the blood. And everything had to be glued together because that stuff would not stay where it is while she was driving around town in her rental car. It was stuck together with blood. Also, the blood is bright red so it's fresh blood in theory. So when did they do this? Did they do it while she was parked outside of like she's been in there for like a few hours I would assume because you have to arrive before the book signing by an hour or so. And it looked like she was finishing up because she was reading from the book and people were there. It was like stuff that happened. Exactly and none of that blood was dry so uh, clearly while she was parked there Jill or Rory just you know casually walked up to the car Jimmy got into the truck and was just like oh hey there Fred how you doing today as they're painting some blood on some posters. (laughs) This is a school project. Don't worry about this. Yeah Ghostface masking a knife. Ah. This is Woodsboro like Ghostface should basically be on the flag. It's fine. It's fine. You know us kids in our pranks. Don't worry about it Fred. Oh lord. Okay so we then cut over to the school and everybody gets an immediate update that Jenny and Marnie are dead and I always wonder this in movies because this is the way that it always happens is that everyone gets the same text at the same time. I don't know if when I went to high school I guess the technology wasn't as good but I very much doubt that there's any text message chain for the school that every student is you know what I mean? It's like involved in. It's not like one big group chat for the entire school. Either that or it's required in Woodsboro that you have a Google alert for murders. 
That reminds me. I've been hearing and reading reviews about Scream 6, the first movie that doesn't take place in Woodsboro. And I'm like, wait, half of the movies didn't take place in Woodsboro. Hi, Denver was the second one. Thank you. I know. I keep on hearing that too. And I'm like, you are liars, okay? Because Scream 2, Denver, Scream 3, LA. Or yes, we come back to Woodsboro and 5, we're in Woodsboro. But two of them. Only three of them. One, four, and five. Mm -hmm. Because two, three, and six. Half the movies are yeah. not in Woodsboro. I completely agree with you. And I was really annoyed when I kept hearing that as well. <laughs> if I heard one person say it or one reviewer say, I'm like, fine, whatever. You're not really a horror person. Maybe you don't get it. But like, I've heard it from multiple review people. I'm like, wait, wait, mm -hmm. wait. It's not like one movie didn't take place. And they're like, oh, the college in Woodsboro. I'm like, no, Woodsboro. There's a vineyard in Woodsboro. No college. Vineyards. That's it. Remember, we have to do the research. They were in Colorado. Yeah. The weirdest thing. All right. That was my little pet peeve that I've been seeing all, in all these reviews for Scream 6. Yeah. And then like, obviously, Scream is in LA, not Woodsboro. Like, do they think that Woodsboro and LA are the same place? Do they think that Woodsboro is a suburb of LA? Because those rolling landscapes are nowhere close to LA, let me tell you. Maybe they got thrown off by that one scene when they're in all the Woodsboro houses on the soundstage. They were just like, oh, they did such a great job of building Woodsboro. This must be. It must be Woodsboro. They built their house. You know, no rolling hills, but still the house. Even the boat is there. Everything. Everything except for Tatum hanging out of the garage door. But she does appear in this one hanging out of garage door. She does? Tatum? In this one? Yeah, she's at the stabathon. There's a set dressing of the garage door with her hanging out of it. Okay, the news crews automatically pull up to campus as well. And then we're, we cut to the police station. Gail and Hicks are having their weird showdown. I don't know. It just seems like such a pointless plot point. Gail annoys me in this movie because she has no point in this movie to be there. Gail's just being annoying for annoying sake. Like, I want to be part of the case. Why? Because I deserve to be. And it's like, okay, well, your husband's the sheriff. Are you involved in every case he does? I doubt it. I wrote the book on this one. On this one? This one now? Happening now. You wrote the book on this one. So who did? Yeah. Was that the one before or after there was time travel? That would have been my answer. <laughs> like back to her. Like, anyways. But yeah. So Gail moves the plot forward. One thing that really annoyed me personally was when she gets attacked. It made no sense to me why she goes back into the Sabathon. Zero. She sees uh, someone in a ghost face mask purposefully covering all of her cameras. And like, yeah, maybe she could think, oh, okay, it's one of the kids playing a prank on me. They're all a ghost face mask. Maybe why take the chance when the reason you put the cameras there is because you think the killer's going to strike at this party. Exactly. And only because Dewey doesn't like knight in shining armor show up. Yeah, immediately agree with you and say, okay, I'm there. Like, he's just like, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. This is a police investigation. The police should be doing these things. She's like, no, I'm here. I'm going now then. Ha, huh, you don't believe me? It's not me and you anymore? Yeah, it kind of ruins her stance when she's like, I'll write the book. You get the collar. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So this is about you again? All right, so. I was getting really annoyed today, again, with the watching other media lately and that it's tying into my feelings of the movie we're watching. So we've been watching the latest part of You that got released. Season four, I think they're on. Yeah, they did like a half season and then the second half of the season is out now. So spoiler. So there's a point where the character catches this person who is clearly a psychopath who has kidnapped someone and kept them hostage. They have found the kidnapped victim in their hostage situation. And instead of calling the police and getting them there to break her out of it, her and the victim decide, oh, no, 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 no. If we call the police, then he'll get onto the fact that we're onto him. He'll disappear again. Fuck saving her life. We're just going to keep her in this cage so that we can outplay the serial killer and try to catch him ourselves because the police won't do a good enough job. Who gives a 
fuck? If he gets away, there's a woman about to be killed. She's being held in a cage. Get her out. That's not that important. It's fine. She'll keep okay. Okay. So, yeah, there's the stupid power dynamic between Hicks and Gail where Hicks is like, hi, I'm an actual police officer. Are you? And Gail's like, no. But guess what? I don't bake shitty lemon squares like you because yours tastes like ass. I feel like the movie wants us to be on Gail's side, but I couldn't be. Yeah, the whole Hicks her thing doesn't need to be there to show Gail as the underdog. I think that the Alison Breed scene did a good enough job. She literally sits there and lists like, okay, like you're a tarnished brand. You've been falling, whatever. We have that. We have her struggling to write her book. Those two things are enough of an implication for us that Gail is no longer in her prime. And I think it's coming through in the performances that Gail and Dewey aren't getting along in reality. Yeah, that was fine. That's all we really need. We don't need the whole Hicks business. I know she comes back in five, like only to be killed. I don't remember her being very important. And it's not like Dewey is playing into Hicks's crush. No, he doesn't entertain it at all. He's constantly shutting it down. Dewey's a good guy. Gail is being annoying. Anyways, okay, so Anthony Anderson comes up again. He's the guy with all the information because... I guess he's slightly more famous than Adam Brody, so they wanted to give him more lines. I think he is, or at least was at the time. Also, funny note is that Anthony Anderson, like, is one of his more famous roles around this time was being in the scary movie film, which directly make fun of Scream. So it's kind of fun that he's been cast in Scream. Terrible cop, by the way. He's a terrible cop. Good cop on Law and Order. Terrible cop in Woodsboro. He wasn't on Law and Order. He was. What? Mm -hmm. Vanilla Law and Order. He was one of like the, he was later seasons. He was one of the cops. And then he came back to reprise his his role in the first season of the comeback of it. But then he left. I guess because I usually watch SVU. So I'm thinking SVU, not Law and Order. Okay. Yeah. So Anthony Anderson comes up to tell them that Jill and Olivia got called and Dewey's like, Jill's Sydney's cousin. So then they go to interview them and only Jill and Olivia got calls. And then Kirby's like, yeah, I didn't get one. Wait, is that better or worse? Yes and no. I love Kirby in this movie. She's great. Okay, so we cut to Allison Bree. She is so fucking happy about the murder. She's going to make money off of it and she's just fucking stoked. Anyways, she then sees Gail and she's like, oh my God, she runs up to her to start brown nosing, but then immediately starts insulting her. Raj sent me like a, a clip today. I don't know if it was from Cougar Town or what, but it was a, a clip between Lisa Kudrow and Courtney Cox about Botox. And like the entire time, Lisa Kudrow's just laying into Courtney Cox's character and being like, yeah, I don't know. I guess with a face like that, you would consider pumping chemicals into it. Just like stringing together all these insults without it being like, it's just like back, backhanded like insults or whatever. And then like Courtney Cox is just like, you know, when you string that many mean sentences together, it takes my breath away. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I feel like that's what's happening in this scene with Alison Brie without her meaning to. She's like, okay, and backing up, how are you going to reclaim your tarnished brand? Like she's not meaning to do it, but then it kind of feels like she is, but then she's not. It's weird. Yeah, it feels like Mean Girl in high school a little bit. At the same time, she does seem like a stumbling idiot, so I really don't know. But when Gail turns on her and it's like, you better back off before I kick your ass with my tarnished brand or something. I didn't write down the line. About to take my tarnished brand off on your face or something stupid like that. Yeah, but she's like, I still got it. We then cut to the house and I wrote, the aunt is trying to make this all about her. I'm just like, I wonder how many scars Sydney has. And it's just like, I have scars. No one asks about my scars. Just like they mean knife scars. <laughs> Scene felt very out of place. It felt very much like this actress was like, I need to have a serious part in this movie. Okay, just say something crazy here and then we'll just use it. Okay, so Dewey and Sid are having this weird 30 catch-up chat. Once again, Dewey pulls out his thing that I guess he did it in Scream 2 where he quotes directly from 
from a book and cites the page. Yes, but it's only stuff about him. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Oh, no, but that wasn't about him in that in Scream, in, uh, in the new one. It was about him in Butch Oh, yeah, it was about, like, persevering or something. Yeah. But anyways, point being, Dewey's, like, this bumbling idiot, but then he's... Savant, like, when he reads a book, he knows the page number and everything where things are said. Exactly. Meanwhile, it's like, I have parts of books that I am obsessed with, and I will quote at people. But do I directly quote it? Fuck to the no. I don't remember the direct quote. I'm just like, okay, well, Chuck Klossman wrote this thing about this, and here's the gist of it. (laughs) With him, it sounds like he could quote any part of that book at any moment and give you the page number. Yeah. Does he have a photographic memory that he is not using in his police work? Not even once. But anyways, okay. Yeah, they're having this weird flirty conversation. I didn't really get the vibe here. I think it was supposed to be friendly, and then it just goes too far. Yeah, it just felt weird. But then Trevor has snuck into Jill's room, somehow sneaking past the police and them not noticing, but then we meet the police officers later and realize how easy that probably was. Then Jill doesn't want him in the room, obviously. Sydney walks in and she's automatically reminded of her with Billy. Um, why did I write jump scare? <laughs> was there a jump scare? There might have been a jump scare. Oh, here. Hicks. Hicks jump scare. That's it. Oh yeah, this is this is when they really try to make you think Hicks is the killer. Yeah, so Sydney leaves uh, Jill's room and turns around and Hicks is like standing in the shadows right there and then she's like trying to be creepy so that she can be the red herring being like, don't you remember me? We went to school together. We were in the play. You were Tiger Lily and I was a lock boy. Don't you remember we had homeroom and these classes and we were in the play and we did all this. I'm like, it was a long time since I was in high school mm-hmm. and I didn't do much in high school, but I remember people that I saw in classes often, even if we didn't talk really like, oh yeah, I vaguely remember you from this. Well, like, okay. Sydney was a person of note when they were both still in high school. That's true. Her mom was killed when she was in high school. Exactly. So then you would automatically start clocking like, oh, I know Sydney. I know her because of. And like at that age, it's so much fresher in your mind. Like, oh, I had Omer with her last year. That's true. I'm sure Sydney probably was going through a lot, which is what Detective Judy Hopps says. A lot was going on for you when you were in high school, which is true. You know, she tried. She did try to get murdered. They did try to murder her in senior year and junior year. Her mom dies and a whole bunch of craziness. Yeah. I mean, like not the same, but kind of the same. So like my friend who like it's not like we were best friends or whatever but like my friend who now is in like a lot of movies and whatever because we were vaguely friendly i can like name every class i have with her because like i those are the times i remember hanging out with her right so yeah. i'm like oh we would hang out in mr diverse's class and then like mr sherry's class but if you would ask her she'd be like jackie who fuck you <laughs> No, we actually, I just talked to her a few months ago. (laughs) So mean. (laughs) That's what Sydney does to her, to her face. But I'm sorry, you're not important enough for me to remember. And back into the shadow, she skulks. They weren't actually friends. (laughs) I don't know. But anyways, we then cut to Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody. They're on duty. They're in a car stationed outside of Jill's house. We see Trevor getting out of the window in the background and them just not noticed. Olivia's getting home. This is when Anthony Anderson says that creepy comment about Olivia. Yeah, like, oh, she could live next to me. I'm like, she's 17 in this movie. <laughs> she calls Jill um, and Jill and Kirby are watching Shaun of the Dead at Jill's house and they invite her to come over because Olivia's their neighbor. But Olivia's like, no, not if Sydney's there. I don't want to be around her. By the way, during this time, zombies were big. That's why the zombie reference is here. Just like, look, zombies, huh? huh? I think it's supposed to be like, clearly these guys love horror to a point that even though something traumatic happened today, apparently, like the phone calls and I guess there being a murder or whatever, they're still going to be watching horror movies, even if it's a horror comedy. That's the way I took it. But yes, it could have also been like, zombies are super popular right now. But anyways. Okay, so Olivia goes home and stays on the phone with them. Then Trevor calls. Sorry, Olivia had called Kirby's phone. So Trevor starts calling Jill's phone and Jill makes Kirby 
pick up the call and it goes face on the phone but he's like whispering yeah because he's in the closet exactly but we don't realize that at first right so like yeah. it's just like he's whispering and Kirby can't really hear him he tells them that he knows that they're watching Sean dead and then he tells her that he's in the closet and so Kirby decides to call his bluff opens their closet he's not in there he's like I never said I was in your closet and pops out of Olivia's closet and then we get one of the more brutal murders of- well the only brutal murder in this one it's like the scene from part three where like the aftermath of Sydney's mom's like that whole scene it's like that's what the room looks like mm-hmm. it makes me want to talk about the most recent scream because there's a similar murder but we will get there okay yeah, we'll get there a couple weeks because I need to rewatch it to actually get notes okay he's attacking Olivia they're watching through the window as Olivia is being murdered and Sydney goes to get the cops but they're gone so she breaks into Olivia's house she's too late phone rings and Sydney's old friend Ghostface who with the usual threats still uh, oh he says something about how he's making a movie or something like that and she's like this isn't a fucking movie and he says it will be so apparently in the cinema club scene Mm -hmm. there was supposed to be a point where somebody says oh Trevor says yeah but this isn't a movie like referring to the current murders and Rory Culkin says it will be to indicate that he's the killer but that they were like no it's too spot on I see it I still would have left it in I don't think people would have called I don't think so either and I think it would have been good Yeah, it would have been one of those little easter eggs that you see and you're like oh we knew but anyways okay where am I oh yeah so he's talking to Sydney on the phone and then Jill shows up and Ghostface appears behind her slices her arm before Sydney pushes him down the stairs and confronts him in the hallway but then he just disappears and then the police show up right then and so does Trevor so that feels a lot like Billy showing up when Ghostface attacked Sydney Dooley yells at Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody you know, for like not doing their job yeah you know the one thing that they were supposed to do and they're like just like well I saw him go this way and then I went this way and then we like met up and he was just gone this is not Scooby-Doo how do you do manage them? but anyways DDS good old Detective Donnie's son is nonchalantly chatting about all the murders like this is already a movie with Rory and then Gail approaches him and Rory and wants their help and they say that they want Sydney to come to Cinema Club as their guest star I guess I don't know how she got Sydney to show up to that by the way yeah I think it was just after the attack that happened she was just like, hey, remember how Randy had ideas? Maybe these kids have ideas. Yeah, because one of the character traits that Sydney has is not wanting to do any of this kind of stuff. But then again, she's doing a book now, so maybe it's all changed. I think it's more that like her family is involved. So she's like, okay, they're after my family because of me. I can't let more of my family and people that I know die because of me. So how do we get to the bottom of this? I don't think she knows that yet. Or does she? Yeah, maybe by the time she goes to, yeah, they have the, the family. Yeah. Because mom hasn't died yet by then. No, she's talked to Ghostface on the phone and Ghostface said that, yeah, I'm going to kill everyone around you. I'm making a movie. Yeah, so Sid's going to be involved because she doesn't want her family to die. The guys want Sydney, not Gail, and like <laughs> Gail's just like, yeah, the Dan Radcliffe to my J.K. Rowling. Yeah, speaking of which, my whole problem this whole time with Emma Roberts, thinking it was Hermione from freaking Harry Potter, I'm like, we're being confused. And basically the entire movie be like, you don't look like her, but that's her name, isn't it? No, Emma Watson. <laughs> which, yeah, which I'm like, close enough. Maybe I'm like, but I'm like, your hair's not red and you don't look like her. Emma Watson Watson was too busy starring in this and the end. <laughs> this the end. <laughs> was that? Yeah, that movie was okay. No, I think that was a couple years after. But anyways, I love that movie. Back to this movie. We cut to the hospital. Uh, Alison Brie offers Sydney a three book deal and says that she can name her price and Sydney fires her because she's a fucking heartless bitch who's good at her job. So Alison Brie walks off to her death. 
Pretty much. She enters a parking garage. She has amazing cell service because Ghostface calls her in the parking garage. And kills her. It's just like, we need another death. Yeah, we need to pad the kill count. And then like, this death pissed me off in so many ways. How about you? I can't lie. I barely pay attention to this death. I'm like, all right, this is the pointless death. I'm going to get some coffee. I remember Ghostface jumps on the car. I'm like, hmm, why is the car not start? Ghostface didn't do anything to the car, I don't think. Yeah, so her car is not starting. The assumption is that Ghostface did something to her car. He jumps onto the windshield of the car and then disappears. She has the keys to her car. Ghostface does not have the keys to her car. She is in a locked vehicle. Yes, that vehicle will not start, but she has a cell phone that we have already proven. Has a, Why is she not calling the police who are currently having a news conference downstairs? So they are right there. She can call Sydney. She still has a number. She probably would answer the phone and say she gets up, runs. Yeah, she gets out of her car and attempts to leave the uh, garage and then the door knob is broken on the stairway and Ghostface comes and stops her. And I'm just like, you could have survived very easily. Why are you so dumb? And they get thrown off the the roof of the parking complex. Yeah, which is impossible based on the sides of the killers. Again, in fun facts, I found out that Emma, um, now I'm going to call her Emma Watson, thanks to you. Okay, Emma <laughs> Roberts is only five foot two, and Rory Culkin is five foot six. Maybe if we add their weights together, maybe 180, maybe 200. <laughs> oh, Lord. So apparently they're just both there because they needed to be to throw her off of the roof. They would have had to be there and like a handcart. Either that, or I want to see like the cutaway scenes of them like trying to slowly like slide her body up the wall to get her like, halfway over the wall so that they can throw her and then she falls down and they're like <laughs> I actually I want to see them going up the stairs that's the one I want to see they took the elevator okay so yeah she gets thrown off the parking garage roof into the news conference happening below being like we have it under control and then uh, she like crashes into a news van Dewey goes to check her pulse <laughs> he's thorough he doesn't want to be any surprises yeah okay so then we cut to cinema club they are announcing that they are one rung below Glee Club and two above We Fit Club nice good for them they welcome in Sydney as their guest of honor and then Sydney and Gail comment on DDS's video headsets and they're like oh yeah that's the one component the killer is missing like they should be filming their uh, kills so that they can be the new version and upload them to the internet so that their art can be immortal I disagree with all of this but I was like fine yeah I'm sorry but like as soon as Rory Colton their art will be immortal and like the fact that you're calling murder art killer you're giving yourself away meanwhile like as they're explaining all this is how the killer becomes the mortal. Kirby shows Sydney the live feed from Detective Donnie Sun's camera, and they do the thing that they like to do, where they like try to make a new name for remakes. So they're like, "It's the Shriekwell, it's the Scream Make." They tried. They did the same thing in the new one, right? The, I mean, the last year's anyway. The requel they called it, I think. Yeah, I think it was the requel, a reboot and a sequel, which is a bad name. Okay, so they say that pretty much the only way to survive a modern horror story, you pretty well need to be gay, and I wrote all that age like milk it did and i was trying to think of where they got the reference from because i don't remember That's that being a thing. always been a like kill your gays kind of thing like where yeah. gays get killed so if you're a minority of any stripe murder you're a victim at this point so it's gotta get wild they get like oh now if you're gay you're safe yeah i don't know where they got that reference from if you do if you know the horror movie where the gays survive please let us know or if you know where the trope is 
from. Mm-hmm. But anyways, okay. So our nerdy duo explains that the stab or formula is it's the same as what Sydney actually lived, like what the people lived, is the formula. So like two kids are killed while their parents aren't home. Hot girl is mutilated beyond recognition. And then the finale is at a party. Was that Scream 1? Because the hot girl was, I'm guessing Tatum. That didn't happen. She wasn't beyond recognition. She was stuck in a garage door. Yeah. Would it be, um... Well, her her head was squished, right? Because, um... Of the garage door. Like, remember her, like, eyeballs, like, pop out? And, like, her head... Was she, like... Did she get, like, halfway out? Oh, wait. Remember, because she, she actually could have gone out through the garage door because she was thin enough. Mm-hmm. But I remember... Because the only mutilated one would have been the first one, right? Well, yeah. Casey Becker is Casey. definitely yeah. mutilated. But Tatum gets mutilated, too, because of the garage door. Like, her head is smashed. That was, like, more of a next thing. Am I, like... Oh, like, her eyeballs pop out, man. Like, not full out, but, like, you see them bulge. I would have to take your word for it, because I don't recall. My old man memory is failing me at this point. <laughs> I have seen Scream 1996 enough times to know that. I'm going to let you be the pro on this one because I've seen it very, very less than that. That's that's bad. <laughs> Fewer times than I. Fewer times. Thank you. I'm like, hmm, wow. Yes, I speak a lot. <laughs> Me and words are not getting along tonight. <laughs> okay, so Gail asks where there's going to be a party tonight and they tell her about Stabathon, but they will not tell her where it is. But everybody else in the room does know where it is, right? Because they're all there. Yeah, so they said like it's super bougie private emailed invites only. Kirby would have told Sydney if Sydney asked Kirby. Absolutely. So, but Sid doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't want to go to the party. Well, but she can then just ask her, then gets in tailgate. No. Okay, so we cut to Jill and Sydney. They're at home and they're having the whole I know how you feel chat. Because you know when other people say it, they don't. But I do, which I guess she has a leg to stand on. <laughs> Except that I don't because you're the murderer. <laughs> and then there's that. Because I don't know it from this point of view, you know. Yeah. So, so this was the scene when I first watched the movie in theaters. That started to tip me off about Jill. So I actually called Jill as the killer, but I thought it was going to be her and Billy. Not Billy. Sorry, I even called him Billy. Him and Trevor. That's who I thought it was going to be when I first saw the movie, but I thought it was going to be Jill because in this scene, she's just like really weird about like, oh, it must be so hard being you with everybody staring all the time. I don't know, like just the things that she's saying, it's just weird. Amos is like staring? Yeah, sure. Um, Not like, oh, it must so be so hard being you having all your loved ones having been murdered and the PTSD that comes with that no staring in the celebrity it must be hard yeah, i want to be an influencer i want to be tiktok famous in 20 years it's fine i actually wrote this heart to heart is really like chilling on her and like the rewatch you know jill is the killer is what i wrote but anyways okay so jill is then talking to kirby on the phone and kirby is pulling up to the stabathon she sees trevor there he's like with a girl right? he's like with a group of people there and then if you look closely at the 54 minute part kirby's just like standing outside the party kind of like raises her arms at one point to like shrug being like i'll be here getting drunk or something i forget what she says but within this little thing you just see hayden pentier react to one extra so apparently this extra gave hayden pentier like a dirty look unprovoked was not supposed to and so hayden reacts to it in the shot like what the fuck is your problem so the extra actually like found her later and apologized and was i'm so sorry (laughs) and was promptly fired anyway yeah anyways watch out for that in the scene which is fun gail is there as well she then enters the party and puts on a ghost face mask to blend in except that she's doing all the mom moves like she's like thumbs up and like all shoulders and head and like (laughs) just i couldn't just everything that she's doing is just that is a mom in a scream mask right now what are you doing here knock at the party party's over that's it just (laughs) yeah like even like okay like yes what she's wearing maybe you could say that it's classic enough that it's just regular casual wear but then she has the mom purse 
The big purse. Come on, that's where she has her camera, right? Exactly. I mean, like, I understand she needed a big purse for all those cameras that were quite large and there were quite a many of them. But mom purse, mom moves. I don't know. I would have spotted her from a mile away and been like, nah, you're the one that doesn't belong. <laughs> you're the killer. <laughs> involved with the Rocky Horror Picture Show that Stab has become. You know, everybody's just going along with the movie. Well, this is what I want to host because I think that that would be fucking hilarious. It would be fun. So basically what I'm saying is just plan a trip to Canada. <laughs> Yes. We will host a stabathon. Call it Screamathon. Oh, actually, no. Call it Stabathon. It'd be great. It'd just be a Stabathon and watch the Scream movies. Scream people would know exactly what Stabathon means. That'd be great. And then, like, because of the signage of it being Stabathon, you could take pictures with it and be like, I'm at a Stabathon. I did go to Scream uh, Sawfest when one of the movies came out. That was fun. It was not as fun as this, but it was just basically a marathon. That's the thing is, I need to make it so that there's fun bits to it, not just a marathon. I was, like, legit thinking of this last night as I was going to bed. All the things I would do and was thinking about our local movie theater called The Screening Room. It's this really cool old theater uh, that took over an old department store in Kingston. Like the oh, old, nice. Yeah, it's the oldest department store in Kingston that was from like the 1800s. Oh, so. come on. It'd be like Stab Fest at The Screaming Room? Come on, it'd be great. Exactly. So then they also, you can go behind the screen in one of the movie theaters and you can see the old storefront windows. So you can decorate like the windows behind the screen with like ghost space posters and shit like that so like it's just like looking down on the street oh man hey i'm liking this hey i'm in so many ideas and i'm just like we should do this and like somehow associate it with podcast and maybe like also haunted walk like get like some funding from haunted walk somehow i might cut this out and we keep this for ourselves (laughs) (laughs) these were the things going through my head last night (laughs) it's not a bad idea it'd be stab us on then sawathon it'd just be it's our brand that's it just every year we do it it's a different franchise and we go make people go through it. It's great. Back to this movie. So they go over their rules. Drink every time that somebody doesn't have a signal. Drink every time a harmless character jump scares you from behind a door. And for every no that somebody screams. They scream a lot in this, uh, this Saw movie? Uh, in the Scream movie? Yeah. They're probably doing the Stab movie, so, you know. Casey Becker definitely is screaming no. Yeah. I remember her doing it. Less screaming from the other victims. Yeah, a lot of silent chasing for Sydney. Only quippy things said by Tatum until she's like actually scared. Scream every time Ghostface falls and trips or gets like, or does a pratfall or something. Seriously though, like I think that Ghostface is actually secretly wearing wheelies underneath (laughs) and they don't realize that they actually had wheelies on the entire time and that they could apply the brakes, but they're just There's always marbles on the ground or like grease on the soles of his shoes, something. He's always falling. Always falling. Actually in the new one, like the amount of head injuries that this Ghostface thought. I'm like, how are you not severely concussed? Well, he has more padding in the screen mask now. Like- Your eyes should be facing different directions when you take off that mask. This doesn't make sense. Anyway, all right. Uh, okay, so we have our drinking rules, and then Gail continues planting cameras. She does one right in front of the screen, and then everyone's screaming at her, so she turns and flips them off. She gets back to her car. She begins recording herself. She's so fucking proud because she's going to solve this. And, you know, she thought that she was done, and now this is going to be her comeback because she's going to solve the case. Because all this is chapter one on her laptop. <laughs> yeah, this is the start of chapter one, the comeback. But anyways, okay, so yeah, Gail's going to have her comeback, and then she realizes that someone in a ghost face mask is blocking each one of her cameras one at a time or turning them off. So then she calls Dewey. She says that she's at the party and that the 
killer's there. She says that the killer's at the party. Wait for her to know because it could be anybody in a screen mask, but fine. Yeah, but earlier I was theorizing, okay, maybe she thought it was just a kid messing with her cameras. No, she says the killer's at the party. And then Dewey come, you know, save me. We're supposed to be a team, whatever. And he's just making fun of her like, oh, I thought you're going rogue and you're all on your own and blah, 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 blah. Why, you suddenly need my help. Instead of trying at all, she just hangs up on him and is like, fuck you, I need to go fix my cameras. Fine, I'll do this myself then. Yeah, I need to fix my cameras is what she says. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You have just called your husband who is the sheriff because you know the killer is at the party and knows where your cameras are. So your solution is to go unarmed alone to go fix the cameras? Yeah, she wrote the book on this. She knows what's going to happen. So she really should have called the whole stabbing situation. So do you think that they purposefully left Gail alive? I think so. Because she can write the book but not overshadow as the survivor? Yeah, because they always stab as ghost faces tend to do center mass. Like, you know, usually the gut, chest, as you do with the Gail, shoulder. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, because at the end, oh, me and your wife go write a book. Yeah, I was wondering if it made as much sense, but I guess this is most definitely Jill as the killer in this scene, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because later on, she gives herself away with the whole, we have matching wounds or whatever. Fair enough. Okay, so Gail goes back into the party to go and fix her cameras and surprise, surprise, ghost face (laughs) comes up behind her. And like, so Dewey does head over to the party and he walks up to Gail's car sees the cameras that she's readjusting and she's holding one camera in her hands, notices another webcam at the scene that it doesn't belong to her. So as she's approaching it, she's filming behind her with a camera and Ghostface comes up behind her. We kind of do this both ways at one point in the movie, which is interesting. Yeah, because we do this with Gail now and with Donnie's kid later. So anyway, so Dewey like screams like, Gail, no! And then she turns around just in time to be tackled to the floor and stabbed in the shoulder. Dewey then shoots at Ghostface. Ghostface disappears as per usual. I think we need to learn because like a lot of these movies especially the newer ones it goes into the whole oh these people were obsessed with the original killers they had to learn the lore all this stuff we need to go into the part of the lore where they learn the magic tricks of disappearing yeah they're the mass magician yeah where they just go through doorways and then vanish into thin air exactly just see them going out of a doorway and the next thing you know people follow them and they're nowhere to be found yeah I would love to know about that. I need to know about how you don't get concussions from so many hits that. Are you wearing some sort of helmet under there that much like Sydney's? I'm thinking they have that thin bulletproof vest technology. Yeah, but for a a helmet that is somehow sewn into that ghost face mask because they just removed the mask and there's no helmet. So very thin and just I love how in this one he jumps or she ghost face jumps out of a second story barn window in the middle of nowhere and still vanishes into like a puff of smoke, I guess. Oh, Um, yeah. And then also, sorry. I forgot. This is one of the things that really annoys me once we find out who the killers are. And we've already spoiled who the killers are, so I can get to it. They, because they needed the killers to appear the same height as other people in scenes, actually, her and Hayden Penetier, they're both short people. So they had to wear three inch heels at all times. And you can really see it at the end for Emma Roberts because she's teetering around on these heeled boots. You just hear them clomping in all the scenes. The way that she's teetering, you can tell she's on heels. And I'm just thinking, like, how the fuck is she doing all these murders in these three-inch heels? Jumping from a window. Clopping around along when she's chasing people? Not when she's chasing them. Only when she is Emma Roberts walking around and then when, even when she's revealed like as the killer as Jill when beating herself up she's like teetering around on her little heels. I did notice the heels when she was beating herself up later. Yeah. Starting at the after party at Kirby's house 
immediately when she gets up from the couch and she's like, I didn't text you. And she goes to look for her phone. You see her teetering already on these heels. Okay, so like all these murders where you're chasing people through this house, none of that makes sense based on your shoes. And also the fact that you're six feet when you're in this car. All of a sudden, you know, five, two, six feet. You're not even wearing like three inch heels. You're wearing like the stilts they wear like at theme parks and stuff at this point. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. I'm just like hearing uh, Entrance of the Gladiators. Ghostface. <laughs> Come on. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, no. You got me with this part. Like, this is the part, the physics defying, you know, vanishing part is here because Emma Roberts leaves her house. <laughs> Rory Culkin is also at Stabfest, right? <laughs> and they're stabbing people at Stabfest. But then they're later attacking Jill's mom at Jill's mom's house and killing her whilst at the whole time they are both with Kirby and Detective Donnie's son leaving Stabfest and going to Kirby's house. So Jill was not at Stabfest. Jill was home and she goes straight to Kirby's house from Stabfest after Stabfest ends. So then she leaves the house, kills her mom, goes to, goes to Kirby's house? Yes. But don't they walk into Kirby's house together like her and um... Because doesn't she say something about showing up later in the Stabfest or something like that? After the cops show up to break everything up or after Dewey shows up to break everything up? I'm not sure. But anyways, we're still at Gail being stabbed. So we'll get to the killer reveal and that all later. Okay. Gail says that the killer is trying to make their own movie. We then cut to Anthony and Adam Brody. They're discussing horror movies as per everyone before they die in this movie talking about horror movie tropes and then how they're probably going to die because they're the cops and that's the way that it works and all the different things. Oh yeah, if you're that cop that's one day from retirement, you're going to die. If you're this, you're going to die. And so then Sydney goes outside and she takes down some wind chimes that were creeping her out. And then Adam Brody, as he's doing his rounds, he notices an open window. He calls over to Anthony Anderson, but there's no answer. And then he walks over and he sees him like slumped over in the car and he's like, oh no. And he approaches him and then Anthony Anderson is fine. He just was playing with him, but Ghostface immediately jumps up behind them and stabs Adam Brody. And then he stabs Anthony in the head. In the forehead, which is, I don't know what kind of knife you're using. How are you going through that skull. Yeah, straight through his forehead to the hilt. Yeah, and then he like stumbles around like a beheaded chicken, which I appreciate because it's realistic to like what would happen if you were stabbed in the brain where you're like still alive. But anyways, because they were talking about how Bruce Willis is the only one who survives as a cop in movies. So he goes, fuck Bruce Willis and dies. I'm like, if only my last words could be so epic. I need to figure out what my last words are now and like memorize them. So when it really is time, I can be like, okay, it's time. Oh, it's here. It's happening now. I gotta say this. My real last words will be like, oh, fuck, I really thought that was it. <laughs> okay. Then said, here's the wind chimes again. Dun, 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 dun. And it's the ant. She's outside. She has groceries. In the middle of the night. Like, it's dark outside. They did reference it like, what are you doing shopping? People are being murdered. Like, well, you know, shop therapy. Ha ha. These people so rich, they don't have a driveway. They don't have a garage. I guess maybe their garage is being built. Oh, yeah, because we do have that going on with, as we learned in the first murder. You know, they're currently building garages. Yeah. These houses are partially put together. Oh, Lord. Okay. Then the phone rings. Sydney picks it up. It's Ghostface. Tells her to turn on the TV and she sees the report that Gail has been stabbed. Then Ghostface says it's family ties that cut deep. And she's like, oh no. And she goes to check on Jill and finds that Jill is gone. She checks her computer and realizes that she's gone to Kirby's. Then Sydney runs over to the aunt, tell her she gets her to try and call Jill, but Jill's not answering because Jill is Ghostface. Dun, dun, dun. Ghostface is then at both doors at once is my question. Yes. He's in the backyard and they see him through 
through the wind chimes and they're like, no, slam that door, run over to the front door. And they're on the inside of the house. So they can run through the house, the most direct route to that door. She'll have to run around the house faster than them because she's at the door when they open that door. So then now I'm back to me, def- them defying physics about them being at Stab Fest and also being at, at Jill's house. Yeah. This only makes sense if this is like an hour after Gail is stabbed. Everyone's left Stab Fest. And so Rory in- stops by here on his way to Kirby's. But you would think that Detective Donnie's son would be with Rory. They wouldn't have taken separate cars to Stabathon. Because they both kind of got to be there because one has to kill, one has to record. They had the webcams around, remember? Yeah, later they got that some body cam thing going on. Yeah, they had to have both been there for this part because back door, front door. Mm-hmm. But also Rory was at Stabathon unless like he came back to the house to pick up Jill and then go to Kirby's. But they were with Kirby the whole time, right? Yeah, and Jill and Rory are not supposed to be friends. So if she shows up and got a ride from Rory, they would be like, what the fuck? But anyways, things don't line up, but oh well. Okay, so Ghostface is at both the doors. They slam the front door and then Ghostface stabs the ant through the mail slot, which I appreciated that kill. It was kind of inventive. Yeah, what kind of knife could go through a skull and through this door? What, how strong are these people? They're all oh, mail slot. Okay, forgiven. Which like, okay, note to self, do not install mail slots. Or not one that low. I'm just not going to get them because when I used to have a mail slot, it terrified me. I lived in an apartment at the time and like, so you were used to hearing like someone walking up to your door area because they would be entering their apartment which was close to your door but then the real terrifying thing is when suddenly something on your door like slams and you're like <gasps> like what the hell is happening someone's in my apartment and it's like no it was just the mail slot oh, you just need like a little like spring action thing so that wouldn't happen it was not worth investing for that at that apartment that place was terrible 1300 a month for a two bedroom that was and it was huge but there was cockroaches like no tomorrow <laughs> that were also huge uh-huh no they weren't as bad as like trinidadian cockroaches but... i would hope not anyways Okay, back to this movie. How many times will I say that in this podcast? Why don't you guys start drinking for each time I say that? <laughs> I'll think they're all going to survive the edit, but still. <laughs> so Hicks is there at the door. Suspicious. Suspiciously. I didn't write suspiciously. I just wrote suspicious. Oh, wait, like the kids say, it's very sus. <laughs> super sus. Okay. Then Sid runs away from Hicks after being like, yeah, my aunt's dead. Go check on her. And then she leaves. And so Hicks is like... She learned the tricks from Ghostface. She poofed out and she was gone. So Sid has been taking the classes. Well, she's been around them enough, but I think she might have picked it up. So anyways, okay. Yeah, Sid runs off. Then we get Gail and Dewey at the hospital. They're just talking about how they're gonna try and love each other, I think. I didn't write what they wrote. Not meaning anything they're saying because it, they look like they don't get along in this movie. Yeah, I don't remember what was really happening here. We then cut to Kirby's house, the after party. Kirby and Rory are having their little nerd off talking about horror movies. Rory's like, did you feel that? Did you feel that pass between us? And this is the only time he has any game because he's like constantly, oh yeah, she wants me and whatever, like while he's doing nothing. And this is the only time he actually like makes a move, a legitimate move. Yeah. And that later she's like calling him to make a move and he's like, uh, and then like later we find out, okay, well, he's actually with Jill. So like maybe he was afraid to cross lines. But anyways, where are we? Yeah, Kirby's house they're nerding off and Trevor appears out of nowhere and he's like you left your door unlocked bad idea when there's a killer on the loose looking crazier than ever okay he's looking crazier than ever why he just has this weird look on his face like he's and he's being very antagonistic towards everybody all of a sudden yeah when he wasn't in any other scene in the movie he's being very jock bro bully like uh, Billy was kind of towards Randy in only this scene it's like it felt out of place to me I was reading it more as he was trying to be suave towards Emma I, why do you have me saying Emma Watson Emma Roberts <laughs> (laughs) character. (laughs) Or 
Hermione Granger. Oh God. With, with her with her wand. No. I'm sure there's like a spell that makes her look like somebody else. All I'm thinking so of can... when I think of Emma Roberts now is have did you ever watch Scream Queens? No. Not your comedy at all. You'll hate it. Anyway, so, okay. so it's like a Ryan Murphy show. And she's one of the main characters on it. And it's called Chanel. And then do they have this episode where she's like this influencer and she does this thing called Chanel-oween and she like sends all of her fans her garbage. Like it's just like this is a huge maxi pad. <laughs> Thanks, Chanel. I love Chanel-oween. So anyways, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking of as her now. Anyways, what was my point? Oh my god. Oh, you thought he was being suave. Yeah, who's trying to be like, ooh, you finally texted me, Jill, and you texted me to come to the after party. Like, hey. And but like knowing that Kirby hates his fucking guts and like things that, you know what I mean? Like he is being sketchy, but he also is trying to be suave. That's what I was reading from it. What I found creepy about him was the way he sat on the couch felt off and then also what he was wearing. But then I found out the fun fact that they dressed him in exactly what Sydney's dad was wearing wearing in the final scene. Wow. Yeah. So later when they pull him out the closet with all duct tape it all like it's a 100% reference? Exactly. That's something no one would catch. Well, somebody probably did, mm-hmm. but wow. Yeah, so it was just that's what I felt was off in the scene was his outfit and then the way he was sitting like he so he was sitting like on the arm of the chair and then he was like leaning forward in this way that was like, conspiratorial. Is that the right word? Conspicuous? Conspicuous. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's just being overly aggressive and like, I'm gonna go find Jill. All he says now for the rest of the movie until he dies. Well, no, at this point, he's like, well, Jill texted me and Jill's on the couch beside Kirby. She's like, I didn't text him. And she's like, oh, where's my phone? I can't find it. I left it in your car. And like gets up to go and get it. Yeah. So I forget what he says to Kirby, but like something and she gets mad at him. And she's like, why are you here? And he's like, I'm going to go find Jill and leaves. Um, Hicks calls Dewey about the murder and that Sydney fled. Also, there's two cops that are dead two blocks away because Dewey's like, where the fuck are they? I just told them that they need to make better attention. Oh, they're dead. I guess I can't chew them up then. All right. Yeah. You know, after they let that one girl die, I stationed them the second night at least. Yeah, because wouldn't they have gotten other cops maybe? Yeah. Not only like had they just been through a traumatic thing the night before, we just missed the killer and then we had to go into this murder that looked brutal as all hell. So like you hear the stories of cops that see scenes like that and how traumatized they are from it and how they struggle to go back to work. So it's like, why are you stationing them right outside the house that it happened at. And even that, they let it happen on top of everything else. Exactly. They were too neglectful to start with. Like, why? These are the best ones you have? Are these the only ones you have? It's just you, Judy Hopps, and these two? There seem to be more people at the... At the office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah earlier. Yeah, because uh, Gail was saying hi to everybody. Like, hey, George. Hey, Fred. I guess they're just paper hey, pictures. Probably, yeah. <laughs> just a bunch of Hitchcocks. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Oh, God. Okay. Where are we? Okay. Yeah, she, was, she calls Dewey. Dewey pulls a zero-point U-turn to head over to the sea and I wrote DDS goes outside and he's clearly very drunk he's stumbling around and recording he starts narrating Kirby and Rory's flirting and then he puts on his headset then walks directly into the planter and then it falls off his head so he puts it back on backwards the camera's still on the same side but somehow only the camera's turned backwards and I don't know how that would have happened from that kind of fall so he knocks his head and as he does he reaches his 
hand up oh, man. to there grab his is, head. Yeah. And as he's doing that, head of that starts to fall. And then he like grabs it. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But anyways, he like fiddles with it as he's putting it back on his head and ends up turning it the wrong way. So then it's backwards. But he's drunk, so doesn't notice. Yeah. Kirby and Rory are inside still in the living room. And Kirby's asking Rory to make a move. And he's like, why don't you make a move? And she's like, I already did. This is the fucking move. She's not wrong. No. And then Trevor walks in right when they're about to kiss. And Kirby's just like the entire scene. Anytime Trevor says anything, she's like, who invited you? And why haven't you left yet? But like, she's continually, who invited you? Like, she's just so Get bad. out of my house. Yeah. And then, so, yes, Detective Donnie's son is what's next. Uh, he's walking around just being drunk. Being drunk and narrating. And then he's like, oh, let me check my feed. And he goes and he realizes that his camera's backwards and he's on the front step. And then he turns his camera around just in time for Ghostface to open the door and kill him. He tries to argue that there are rules that need to be followed. And then he goes, I'm gay, if that helps. And Ghostface like stops for a second and like considers it until he says, if that helps, and then kills him. Does it the head tilt like you are? It's almost giving away that it's Rory, Charlie, Charlie. Yeah, it's Charlie at this point. But yeah, and so, Detective Donnie's sons, rest in peace. You survived one serial killer, Jigsaw, but unfortunately... Did not survive this one. Only you had been locked in a safe. And not for nothing, he did get a lot of help surviving the first one from Amanda. That is true. Okay, we are at... Kirby hears a noise and turns off the movie that she's watching. I forgot that Rory ran off before, like, when Trevor was teasing them. So, then Trevor runs off, go find Jill once again. Kirby tells Trevor that Jill is upstairs, so he goes upstairs. She probably runs off to, like, beat him up or and then, like, tie him up, I'm guessing, right? Jill's upstairs and that's when she gets him to tie him up. No, because he comes down and he says she wasn't upstairs, right? Yeah, so I'm wondering who could have overpowered Trevor to tie him up? It's Rory. Could he really have overpowered Trevor? If he's caught him by surprise. He would have had to, yeah. We'll go old school chloroform. Why not use all the tropes? Just... Okay, Kirby turns off her movie. She runs into Jill in her insanely high heels. I wrote, oh, Jill says she hasn't seen Trevor. So Trevor's already tied yeah. up at this point. That's what happens. Yeah. Okay. But she hasn't seen Trevor or anyone, really. She opens the door and Sydney's there. Then Detective Donnie's son stumbles up. He says run. Then Ghostface charges them and they don't even try. Like they barely try to close the door on him. There's three of them there. They could have done it. They could have broken Ghostface's arm at the very least. But again, Jill's one of them so she wasn't really trying to help. Fair. But anyways. Also, my question is where the fuck does Kirby go? It's like they all turn to run as soon as they see Ghostface and we see Kirby run in the same direction as them to go up the stairs and then she just disappears. Yeah, she vanishes and then just shows up later. Yeah, and like she's near the basement stairs when they find her again so it's implied that she went that way then why wouldn't a ghost face just go to pick her up you know what i mean like it doesn't make any sense did she go into that weird locker room that she said they'll hide there from ghost face yeah i don't know anyways point being the shots just don't line up doesn't really make sense where kirby goes here but jill and sydney run up the stairs and ghost face is right on their heels they go into a bedroom and there's an exit that like leads towards the roof but they realize that the jump is too high but it's not too high later but that's not in there. They're afraid that she'll get hurt more if she jumps from the roof. So uh, Sydney tells her to just hide underneath the bed and then she shouts from the roof and pretends that Jill has jumped from the roof and is running off to get help. And then Ghostface does this weird little dance with her on the roof. This is a wraparound roof, apparently. So Sid goes around the house and Ghostface cuts her off the other way. So she falls from the roof, but she's fine. Yeah, she's fine. She falls from the roof, right? Yep. So she lands on her feet. Totally fine. 
But she falls and like catches herself the gutters, I guess. Or the right. And then like just when the keys goes to stab her hands or whatever, she lets go and then falls. And it's totally fine because my next note is you and Hicks are on their way and then Sid runs into Kirby downstairs. She's just chilling. She's fine. This is the thing we're supposed to think Kirby's the killer at this point is my guess. I never thought she was the killer though. Me neither. So they head to the basement. Then Rory's at the door that connects to the basement outdoor area. <laughs> they don't trust him enough to let him in. Uh, well, Kirby doesn't. And then he's just like, if you don't trust him, don't let him in. So annoy these people. So then Ghostface comes up behind him and then ties him up just like Steve from Scream 96. And then leaves him there. And then calls Kirby. So Sid is just like, yeah, keep him on the phone and leaves. <laughs> she says she's going to get Jill. Then they have horror movie trivia. So what does he ask her? I can't even remember. It's stupid, these questions. It's like serial killers, like their weapons. You know, like what does Michael Myers use? What does Jason use? What does um Freddy use? There's a bunch. He runs through a whole bunch of those. What was the other one? Oh, the first movie that started the slash and he gives her multiple choice but none of the answers are correct and he doesn't give her none of the above as an answer so she chooses Psycho and it's wrong it's Peeping Tom which is a very pretentious pick but whatever I don't know of that film it's up for debate it's the first The Killers of Peeping Tom if I remember right and he is a photographer and he kills people like with a camera with a knife on it it's the 60s right so so he can take a picture of you while he's stabbing you so like you see what he sees through the viewfinder as he's stabbing people with his camera was there a porn parody of this because it sounds like probably but like i still would have been the slasher trope i still would have gone black christmas mm, yeah that would have been my answer psycho i don't really see it as a slasher i can see the argument peeping time i've never watched i just know what it is but black christmas is basically a slasher i agree also canadian call-outs okay where are we oh peeping time the questions and then it was like something about a remake but he doesn't even finish the question yeah what was the hard remake where the main character and then that's as far as he gets and then she goes mentions every remake that had come out in the last I don't know, eight years, I guess. Even more than that. She just goes in on it. Any remake. So that's pretty much Wes Craven's sob story. <laughs> Be like, all my movies have been remade. Yeah, because they did Let's House on the Left. They did Hills Have Eyes. They had done Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't think it had come out yet, but it was probably already going to happen. And then they mentioned every other remake. They mentioned Black Christmas because the first remake had come out by then, but the second one still yet to come. They mentioned Prom Night. They mentioned basically all of them. It goes through a list of them. Yeah. And they're like, I was right. I was right. Like, you know what the question was. She's like, it's one of those, isn't it? Isn't it? And goes, it doesn't answer. And then she's just like, I was right. I was right. So she just lets herself out of the basement and goes and unties Rory, thinking that Ghostface is going to just be like, yeah, you won. You win. You get to let him go, which I don't know why you would think this. You should know better. I don't understand. Why wouldn't they be like, okay, another question to you, even the score, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, no. <laughs> Or like, oh, which one? You didn't even finish the question. You know, it would have been something weird like that. And then death ensues. Yeah. So basically, she unties Rory. And for the most incel stupid reason, he's like, you wait until now to make a move? Well, here's a move and stabs her. After four years of ignoring me, now you want to do something? But it sounds like you never made a move before tonight anyway, really. Yeah. Other than like, just hi, Kirby. And you have a girlfriend now in your mind. Mm -hmm. She doesn't see you as that because she's going to kill you later. But as far as you know, yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know. So why would you even be mad at Kirby now? I mean, they were just trying to make a ghost baseline. You know what I mean? And it just, it didn't work for me. But anyway, then Sid can't find Jill or Kirby now. And then Rory attacks from behind and Sid gets away only to run into Ghostface number two. And it's Jill. Oh, yeah, you don't see Kirby now for the rest of the movie. Like, she's gone. Yeah, so she gets stabbed twice and thrown to the ground. We see her clutch her abdomen as like she bleeds 
out, we assume. Gets the thing. She gets the line like, oh, it takes a lot longer than it does in the movies. And then that's it. But yeah, Hayden Pentier had in her contract that she would not die on screen because she wanted to come back for any sequels, which she eventually does. So Besides the returning people, she would have been the biggest star at the time. Yes. Even they do a little bit of a hero's reference. I don't know if you noticed when they're doing their flirty movie thing. They're like, oh, wow. Like, did you feel that? And she's like, I have powers. Because I'm in heroes. I can't be killed because I'm a cheerleader. Something now. Because <laughs> I'm a cheerleader. Isn't that another movie <laughs> with Natasha Leon? Oh, yeah. Like Beth Cooper. That one? No, but I'm a All cheerleader. Right. Oh, but I'm a cheerleader. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. That's the that's oh, yes. Such an amazing movie. I fucking love that movie. I was thinking of her being a cheerleader in a different movie. Oh. Okay. Where are we? Jill has unmasked herself. Oh, yes. And then the, she goes off on this weird speech about, I just want to be TikTok famous and I'm doing it for the likes. Pretty much. Okay. Here we go. So, yes, Jill reveals that it's her. She reveals that there was a camera in the ghost face mask and she says, This is where the camera stopped rolling and turns it off. And when she said that, like, I was like, Okay. Okay, so you've been live streaming this entire time and then you just revealed that it's you on camera and I was really confused. But then the immediate next line is that cut the footage and upload it to the internet. Traceable to Trevor later. Speaking of Trevor, Rory pulls Trevor out from the pants. Exactly like Sid's dad. He's even bound in the exact same way, wearing the same clothes. And they even reference it like, hey, you remember this, don't you? Yeah, exactly. He's like, remind you of anything? And then Jill says, Sid, you thought that you had a bag in high school. When it came to like boyfriends, here's one that fucks you, dumps you, and doesn't even make you famous. So if he would have made her famous, she would have been okay with it? Yeah, if he would have done some, what is it, Ray J things? Yeah, some Ray J, like he would have released a video of it and she would have been famous from it. She would have been fine, is what she's mean to say. I don't know. I both hate and love Jill as the killer. I hate that person, but she plays it so well. Oh, no, she does a good job. Yeah, the whole reasoning behind everything. I'm just like, oh, ugh. Yeah, but you just know you are that person the way that, yep, I believe you. <laughs> anyways okay so then she's like i'm not the girl you cheat on and then she shoots Trevor in the dick and then in the head and apparently the actor was really nervous about the blood pack going off right like near his actual junk i can totally understand that yeah that's why it's there but it's not quite exactly there if you look i don't know if it's just me when the cops do show up to the murder scene they see the dick that's not a ghost face one you were supposed to shoot him because that's he was the killer so you shot him to save yourself from murder why'd you shoot him in the dick and then the head yeah. I don't know. Well, she gets very sloppy later because she's all pretense of trying to get away with it. Exactly. But I just don't think these police officers are very good at their jobs. <laughs> then there is that. It is Woodsboro and these cops are terrible. With the amount of murders that have happened in this town, don't you think that maybe you should reevaluate? Well, at this point, there hadn't been that many. In Woodsboro? Yeah, because it was the mom. Then there was Scream 1. And then they were in LA and Woods and um, College since 2 and 3. And this is 4. Technically, isn't Otten and his his girlfriend, aren't they in Woodsboro in LA as well? Because yes, it's truly cotton or uh, 100% cotton. The greatest show name ever. If your name is cotton. Okay, I guess it's just Maureen. Which was like a regular murder that would happen in any kind of town, I guess, of the, the stuff in Scream 1. And now, so the cops should be better in Scream 5 because now more murders have been happening. I don't feel like they were, but anyway. No, they definitely were not, but they should be better by then. You think, but no. Okay, where are we with this? And shot in the dick, shot in the face. And then this is when Ori's like, um, Brandy and Brandy now gets the girl. Yeah, we get the whole killer's speech is what I write. Yeah, I like how he kisses her and she's like so not into it. Yeah, she's like looking at Sydney. So basically, they go ready for act three. Got it figured out yet, Sydney. In keeping with our remake theme, 
Trevor's, this generation's Billy Loomis. And we're the innocent victims, Sydney and Randy. See, with you, the world just heard about what happened. But with us, they're going to see it. It's going to be a worldwide sensation. I mean, people got to see this shit. It's not like anyone reads anymore. We're going to know fame like you had never dreamed of. Last two teenagers standing. This time, Randy gets a girl and that's when he kisses her. And Jill's just like looking at Sydney the whole time. Or like, would you please not? Yeah. And Rory's like, you are amazing. You're the perfect victim. She's like, I was totally believable. She says, I mean, I told so many lies. I actually started believing them. I really think I was born for this. Born for murder? <laughs> Apparently. It's like not acting or anything. I was born for murder. Yep. And like Sydney's just like, how could you do this? And then she's just like, do you know what it's like growing up in this family related to you? I mean, all I ever hear about was Sydney this and Sydney that. And she's like, you're always so fucking special. Well, now I'm the special one. <laughs> Sydney says you'll slip. They always do. She and, Car- and Charlie do the Billy Stew thing of, okay, we're going to stab each other. And it goes similarly. Yep. So basically, Jill starts off with stabbing Charlie and he's like, okay, yeah, don't have anything major, whatever. And she stabs him straight in the heart. And she breaks his heart. Don't go break and then right in the chest again. Roy had been like, yeah, old school, like Billy and Stu. And then like, he's like, that's not the way we rehearsed it. And Sydney's like, you said it, Charlie, Billy and Stu. This is what happened. I was there. I know it. And then she basically explains like, oh, you know, the media really loves a survivor, like a single survivor or whatever. And basically she just like goes through this whole entire speech being like, yeah, like this is how fucking sick I am. I even had to kill my mother so I could stick to the original. She really gives me vibes of Scream five the screen five killer the girl i can't remember we're gonna have to rewatch it the speech part they kind of look similar they have similar features the skinny girl with the black hair i know the skinny girl with the black hair i don't remember anything she said anyways basically she's just going on about how like you had your 15 minutes of fame i want mine what was i supposed to do go to college or grad school work how do you think people even become famous anymore they don't achieve anything you just gotta have fucked up shit happen to you so you have to die those are the rules new movie new franchise there's only room for one lead and let's face it you're ingenue days are over and then she stabs her and then beats herself up she goes all out too because she stabs herself in the shoulder in a cool way puts a knife up to her shoulder and then i runs into the wall throws herself against art with glass cuts her cutting her face and she throws herself through a table yeah and then like crawls through the glass and everything then make sure to fall right next to sydney she exactly copies the sydney's hand position like everything anyways but like throughout this entire scene you see her teetering on these heels and i'm like how did you murder people in these heels? this was the one scene i didn't notice the heel Okay, so then we cut to the police showing up and they're just, they find everyone, they find that Jill is alive, then we cut to the Jill being swarmed by the media and them being like, how does it feel to be a sole survivor? <laughs> like shit like that, like making so much assumption right off the bat. I'm like, how does the media know this much already that they're able to report? This is insanity. Oh, she had sent them a press release but they, they knew what to say. Just ridiculous to me. But anyway, cut to Dewey. He's visiting Jill in the hospital and she's saying a bunch of really fucking suspicious stuff. If Dewey was paying any attention, hi, you just survived barely. She's talking about a book. I might write a book about this with your wife and our matching scars and like i only wish that sydney had made it yeah so he's like jill you made it that's all that matters and then she's just like trevor and charlie they tried to kill me and i heard they killed my mom i don't know who would have told you but okay yeah and robbie and kirby too and he's like oh just lay back try to rest and she's like is your wife 
And he's like, gonna be fine. She's like, she's recovering. And he's, she's like, if I ever write a book one day, I'd want her to write it with me. We'd be a good team with our matching wounds and all. We're survivors now. I just wish that Sydney was one too. And then Dewey's like, Jill, they're not sure yet. It's still touch and go, but she's in the ICU and they think that she might make it. And Jill's just like, what? What? No, can't be. What do you mean? Oh, can I see her right now? Can you take me to her? Like here, right? Here and now? He's like, but I saw Trevor kill her. And Dewey's just like, look, we don't know her yet, but she's hanging on. And she immediately is like, I want to see her. And she's like, he's not awake yet. And she may not remember anything. Maybe you go help her with that all in time. He tells her she gets some rest. And she's like, she's going to be okay. And he's like, yeah, she's a strong kid. And everything she says is so suspicious. It's just like, Dewey, how? You are the worst detective. How'd you make the sheriff? Why'd they make you the sheriff of this place? I'm assuming that it is the voted in position and that they were like, oh, he's that guy that survived those murders. Let's vote for him. Yeah, he knows people. This name looks familiar. Gail tells him about how did she know? He gets the aha moment and then he runs in the, the huge hospital, the huge empty hospital without any doctors and one nurse. Basically, because like immediately after Dewey left, we see Jill like take off her monitors and everything. She goes and sneaks around behind a nurse's back to get to Sydney's room. Apparently the only other room with anybody in it because she knows exactly where Sydney is. Exactly. So we cut immediately to Sydney waking up and Jill is there and she's just like, why won't you just die? And they start fighting. And then they just have this throwdown fight where Jill's sticking her finger in her wounds and then, then Dewey comes running and Jill hides with a bedpan and then just doinks them. Probably this 85 pound girl beats him up with a deadpan and then takes his gun. Jill's complaining about how the new ending doesn't make any sense and then Yale shows up and Jill obviously holds her at gunpoint while Sydney is slowly making her way to the defibrillator and then Hicks shows up tackles Gail to save her and then um, Roberts makes her give her her gun and then she shoots Hicks. Which I thought she shot her in the head but then it apparently it was in the chest. So then Sid is making her way to the defibrillator as Gail gets up and Dewey's squirming on the floor and Gail's like can I have one final word and she's like okay fine what is it and she's like Claire she's like Claire who's Claire I don't know who that is and then Sydney takes a defibrillator and she's like Claire and defibs her head and there's like smoke coming off and everything it's very uh scream too when Aunt Jackie does and Sydney says first rule of remakes don't fuck with the original Dewey says that she was standing right behind me and Sid's like they always are and then Jill's right behind her with a piece of glass and she shoots Jill but the first villain not to be shot in the head and apparently there's like a small twitch on her face as you finally see her bleeding out and Wes Craven wanted to keep that in because he wanted to keep the possibility that she was still alive and then we cut to the media reporting on Jill as a hero and sole survivor still that's the end of the movie. I like that way better than three. I'll say this. I mean, for like actual, this is a decent movie. What was the actual movie? Quibbles aside over logic and all. Yeah. Yes, it was a better movie than three. Three is a lot more fun to watch. Remove one character from three and three is basically a watch. If you remove, remove Parker Posey from Scream 3, you can barely watch that movie. Yes and no. I don't know. Like if you watch it through the lens of I'm going to treat this Scream movie as if it is the latest scary movie. That's how I'm going to treat this. This is fucking ridiculous. It's a parody of itself. It is. It kind of goes supernatural. It might as well go back in time. Yeah, exactly. So like it feels like a parody of itself. It's so ridiculous. So if you watch it with that mindset, I can tell you that it's quite an enjoyable watch. But all the other times when I did not watch it like that, I hated it. What would you rate it? I think like a seven because I wouldn't go eight, but I wouldn't. I don't think it's. Just, I don't think I'd go six. I'd go like a, I'd go a solid seven. I rated it at six. Dun dun dun! Here, 
The one I liked more than you have was this one. Because I first wrote five. Oh, wow. Because I had it tied with three in my head. And then I was like, no, that fight club scene and Kirby make it a six for me. Kirby's great. Her trying to do this for fame and for clout. It's like, I don't know if it's just because it, it matches what would happen today. And I'm like, oh, cool. That was cool that they did that 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. A reason that somebody would try to kill somebody today would be for these reasons. I kind of like that. Of his time and ahead of his time together. Gale is the only thing in this movie that I'm just like, why are you even here? Gale feels pointless. Dewey is pointless. He doesn't do anything. Look, you can't be the doofy cop when you're the sheriff, is the problem with Dewey. He just always shows up too late and is the punchline. That's just all he does. Which is fine when you're the deputy, but not when you're in charge. Yeah, and the only time that he's in danger is at the end when he gets thud panned. And then he's moving within one minute, so we're not even like, oh, Dewey dies. And you know, Dewey has to get beat up or shot or stabbed in every movie. Dewey should have been a cop. He should have been like one of the cops doing the lookout or whatever. Like, he shouldn't have been the sheriff. For him to be this doofy that has Somebody needs to be competent, has to be over him. He's just doing nothing for the entire film. Gail, too, is just like really not doing much except for like she does drive forward plot points. We did argue with Gail just going in. I'm gonna fix the cameras because you won't come. If Gail calls him for that, he should have been going there anyway. All right, you're calling Ghostface is there. It's a party. They don't make sense. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna call the cops to go there. He still should have done that yeah. and not just argued for argument's sake. Why do you not have all your officers doing rounds looking for a fucking party if you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is usually how it goes. <laughs> if there is a party, that is a target. You've been through this before. You should know. Uh, anyways, so I feel like I had problems with a lot of the plot points within it. I do appreciate just Emma Roberts and this, her character and her performance. No notes. Yeah, she's good. I have an issue with Rory and Detective Donnie's son. You need one of them. You don't need both of them to be the same character. Exactly. Because you have both of them. They are a watered down version of Randy that you don't like either one of them. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't like either of them. All one of them does is just live stream everything and that's his character trait. My character trait is I live stream. And the other one, you don't even get to know Rory, really. They tell you he knows a lot about movies, but he never talks about movies, really, except when he's explaining this requel thing or whatever they call it in this one. Yeah, the scream make. The scream make, which makes sense for him to explain because he's the one that's planning it out. It's not like when Randy was doing it, he was like, all right, based on movies, it should be this. It's like, oh, based on the way the world works, it's going to be this because that's what the killer should do because that's what I'm doing as the killer. Like, so I just didn't, I don't know. There's so much that doesn't work there for me, but I love the Emma Roberts of it. I loved Kirby's character. I don't like where Kirby goes, but I, I do appreciate that she's still alive. And the reason that I ended up rating it so low, I feel like, is because I watched the most recent one. Yeah. I think that it was very well done, but I also think that it could have been done better. And now I have this idea for a screen movie in my head, and I'm just, that's the perfect movie. <laughs> like, why was this not created? I enjoyed this. You recently watched six. Like, the last one of these I watched was three. Yeah, so like, literally, I watched six the night before, and then I watched Scream 4. And yeah, it just wasn't as enjoyable this time. I think also because screen movies are always great because at the time they are referencing the pop culture of the time. And there's a nostalgia for the 90s that I feel like there isn't for this period of horror. We're too close to it still. We're too close. Although the movies that they're referencing are not cult love. They didn't reference any of like the Japanese horror stuff, which is big at the time, mm-hmm. or the zombie stuff that was big at the time. They name check Saw, but they don't really reference it like that. They just name check. Yeah. And say that they don't like it. The year this came out is the year Saw 7 came out. So they all had come out by the time this one came out. It just doesn't tie into any of current horror except for when they make fun of it. It's so derivative. There's nothing good. It's only remakes. And like, that's mm-hmm. true. There were a lot of remakes. There were a lot of reimagining of films such as the Japanese horror trends where they Americanized a lot 
lot of those. Obviously, I, my brain goes automatically blank, but there was good horror happening at the time. The zombies were big at the time. Japanese horror was big at the time. The Saw, Saw Hostel torture porn stuff was there because the collector, I can't think, came out the same year or the year before. On top of that, you know, so the, there was a lot of horror. One of my favorite genres of people trapped in a room movies, a bunch of them had come out that year. But it was just like, you know what, remakes up. And even like that one like line at the end, like, oh, don't mess with the originals. Yeah, it's not even a horror rule. It's just like an I don't like remake rule. Yeah, and some of those remakes weren't bad. Like the Texas Chainsaw remake with Jessica Beale wasn't bad. Like it was totally different vibe, but it's not bad. Amityville with Ryan Reynolds wasn't bad. Yeah, no, but like those stuck to the script in a way. I like the Friday 13th remake. Considering what they did, they overloaded it, but it was fine. Like, they did the first three movies in the remake. I was thinking the, like, Nightmare on Elm Street one. That remake, it, for me, it, like, veered so far from what Elm Street was. They leaned too far into the pedophilia and that sort of thing, which is, like, yes, that is a part of Freddy, and it's disturbing. That's not the main part of Freddy. The supernatural shit is the main part of Freddy, and we don't need to focus on that was unnecessary to me. So like, I appreciate what I hate firm, but like what they define in Scream 5 as the requel. If you were going to restart the brand with a new cast. The legacy sequel. Yeah, that's fine. And I'm okay with that. But he like completely fucking with and disregarding. I have not watched through the Alien series, but I have been informed that the Alien's powers change depending on what the scenario calls for. An alien? Yeah. So like they have acid spit, but like it's only acid when they want it to be. And then other times it's fine. It's acid blood is what it is, not spit inside the blood. I have not watched it, so I cannot confirm. But my my very good friend, who's like this very analytical person, she doesn't watch a lot of media because she's so analytical and like analyzes each thing. So what she and her partner do is they watch movie series like that, like and like be like, okay, we're investing in like what we do. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, this sounds familiar. Mm. So that's what <laughs> just like her and her partner do. So they did the Alien series recently, and she's like, nope, their powers are not consistent at all. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I like the Alien movies, but like, you could not pick four people with four more different visions to make these four movies. Ridley Scott does the first one. James Cameron does the second one. Fincher does the third one. The fourth one is written by Joss Whedon and done by like, uh, I think he's a Spanish artsy director kind of guy. I can't remember his name now. The visions on these four movies could not have been more di- from four different locations. Like, mm-hmm. like four is quippier than it needs to be. Two is an action movie. One's like a gothic horror movie. And three is just a weird David Fincher mess that got studio noted to death. Other than Scream 3, there's a consistent voice to Scream. Speaking of horror movies and their rules and being consistent, so obviously this is a Scream movie. There is a set of rules, although we don't have Randy. He doesn't just sit there and list out our rules. No. So instead, I have written them down for you. As per Sydney, the number one is don't fuck with the original. Two, you have to be gay in order to survive. Was he gay? Or did he just say that to not be killed? That's what the rule is. You have to, okay, sorry, you have to be practical Practically gay was what he said. Practically gay. And then number three is police officers will always die in horror movies, especially if they are near retirement. They have a daughter at home or like whatever it is. Like pregnant wife is what it was. A pregnant wife. That was it. Yeah. You're going to die. Number four. The original ending is the false ending in the remake. Number five. The killer is always right behind you. And those are your rules from this movie. Not very good rules in this one. Not that great. Oh, um, a fun fact that I don't think I covered earlier is that Jay and Silent Bob make another appearance in this movie. So apparently something that we missed was in Scream 1996, there was a VHS copy of Clerks scene. And then in this movie, Kirby has a copy of Clerks 2. And then 
obviously Jay and Silent Bob were in Scream 3. Uh, apparently Hayden Penetier almost quit because of all the rewrites. What else do I have? I, I don't think I have anything else. That's it. All right. Well, okay. So what would we do to fix it? Put together Randy 1 and Randy 2. Basically all these like... All these amalgam characters if they split up into two. Mm-hmm. Make them because you didn't... The Olivia girl, you don't even need her. No, like I guess it's like establishing another murder situation <laughs> so that like they can interact with Ghostface and make sure that Jill has been face to face with Ghostface so you don't think it's her. Yeah. Put a competent cop on the force. At least a competent cop on the force. God, yes. Make Dewey not the sheriff. Make him like what is right under a sheriff? But just your regular officer. Just officer at this point. Because <laughs> he was yeah. a deputy which is under. Like he, in the first one he was just deputy. Like he was like. Or a detective. Detective Dewey. Yeah, you know, like something, something just... like with like a little bit more cachet but not the sheriff. Sure. Not the guy in charge of everything, you know. Or like if he, even if he is a sheriff, make then Judy Hopps. No, she doesn't. She doesn't have a schoolgirl crush on him. She's actually competent. Or, and she's like, oh, well, I have to work under this dude. What the hell? Something to make him more interesting. But then I guess he's not working with the police. He's a private eye. Yeah, or that. Right. And then they bring him in on the case because of his experience and whatever. And since he's a private eye. Like, he can't be a cop anymore because he can't pass a physical. because he's, he's gotten stabbed so many times in his life and nerve damage and the whole bit. So now he's like a private detective, which would make sense. I don't know how many private detective jobs he'd have in Woodsboro, but that's neither here nor there. She and husbands and wives seems to be popular. So anyways, those are my notes for it, but I'm interested to rewatch Scream 5 and see where I, with a clearer mind, how I actually feel about it. Okay, so our franchise so far to go over. Scream 1, I have a 9, you have an 8. Scream 2, 6, you have a 5. Scream 3, I have 5, you have 4. Day, I have a 6, you have a 7. Yeah, I stand by that. Brings us to 62.5% for the franchise. That's actually pretty good. As our franchises go, this is not a bad average, I think. It's not the worst, but we still have two more films to go. I think it might raise the average. We'll see. We will definitely see because next time will be Scream 5. Yeah, or, or just sh- Scream. Also, as I already told you, and I'm so annoyed because I really didn't like this character and I continue not to very much enjoy her. But uh, the main character, Sam, while my sister watched the film with her family, apparently they just called her Jackie for the entire film because she reminds them of me and I am so offended. With good reason. Now I'm going to watch it with using that, like with that in the back in my mind to see what they saw in that girl. Yeah. Jesse? It's Sam. Sam. Yeah. Not Jenna Ortega. It's the other one, right? Yeah. I'm like, I couldn't be Wednesday? Like... <laughs> Billy Loomis' daughter. So we'll see. Spoiler warning for five. Yes, but I think that was... Might have been. If you're listening to us still, you know we spoil everything. Always. Always. So many spoilers, <laughs> even for things that you haven't, would not think would be related to this. We will spoil it for you. That yes. movie that you missed in 1992 that no one has heard of, we'll spoil it. I mean, so spoil it. It'd be like Curdly Milk, Left on the Sun. Oh and with that note, it's clearly after midnight. <laughs> um, <laughs> perhaps we should wrap this thing up. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're looking to connect with us at all, you can always reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook at Series Horrors Podcast. Also, you know, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. I forget what else we say here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Rate, review, tell a friend, tell a friend. You know, if you like it and you think somebody else might, let them know. Hey, they like horror, and even, if they, or even if they don't, we try to keep it light and fun and try to break all these things down for you. Also, if you want to have a special ghost face message for us, you're not going to call all this stuff. You're going to leave us an email at seriesofhorrors at gmail.com. You ask us what our scary movie is, which you probably already know because we have covered them. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, well, it depends on categories because I feel like we both have categories of like, okay, this is my favorite horror.
horror movie of recent years, and this is my favorite 80s horror. <laughs> Whatever. Ooh, and the best remake of all time is, hands down, Fright Night. Yes, so far. So far. So far, yeah. That's a remake done right. It was. I was rewatching it the other day. I just... So good. Apparently, also, like, it's Colin Barrow's favorite film that he ever did, because on that film, he found his stepfather, I guess, and, like, introduced him to his mom, and, like, she refound love and whatever. And you can tell he's having a blast in that movie. Yeah. He is so good in that movie. Yeah. In, like, a role that could have been, like, boring as hell, standard vampire bad guy. He is having a blast. He knows the movie's in. Oh, so good. Listen to that episode. We covered it. It's so good. I love Colin Farrell so much. I watched uh, Banshees recently. I haven't seen it. It's long and, you know, sad, but, like, so good. So good. But, yeah, you can, if you, you know, rate or review, we'll uh, read out your review uh, in the Ghostface app. Yes. <laughs> we will get the Ghostface. Jackie will get the Ghostface app and she will read it out in the, in the voice. Yep. Just, just for you. So, please, write us a review. <laughs> Yes. To hear that. Five star. A good review. Not a bad review. If you write a bad review, we're not reading that. Yeah. But a good one. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, I always feel bad about it being like, it must be five stars because only five stars is acceptable. Like, if you have feedback, give it to us. Be honest. But yeah. I don't know. If it's a good review, can... I will read it out on the podcast from Ghostface. Yeah, we're just not going to, you could leave us a middling or bad review, but we're just not going like, to read it. Even if it is a one star review, but you are the wittiest, like, most hilarious person in the world, I might give you a second of time. <laughs> If it's funny, if it's funny, I'll at least read it and smile. I will refer to it, yes, but not in for the sure. Face. <laughs> not in the ghost. You haven't earned the Ghostface app is for that's for closers, that's for winners. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay, well, friends, thanks so much for joining us. Join us again soon. I know that our schedule's been a little bit more spaced out. We're just trying to take our mental health first and record when we can. For sure, but uh, we plan to be back in as soon as we can. A couple weeks. Yes, considering I can't even finish like a sentence of this episode without saying I need to talk about the film after the film <laughs> that is next. <laughs> so the plan is we'll be back soon and the, the plan is uh, to give you a general idea for the future as you probably already know is going to be Screams. Well at least Scream 5 next and depending on when Scream 6 is streaming then we're going to do catch-ups on old movies like Spiral and Paranormal. Friends, for us recording it is 1220 a.m. We both work tomorrow, yes. <laughs> so we should probably wrap this up. But we hope that you join us for the next episode. Yes, been great. Welcome back, Miss J- Miss Jackie. We'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, screen five. All right, guys. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye.